Welcome to the Movie Planet Season 6, Episode 12. This week we are talking 1984's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. With Joe. Who made me pull? No fun. Play with you, no fun. And Steve. Hey, lady, you call him Dr. Jones. My professional name. And Josh. You don't believe me? You will, Dr. Jones. Welcome to the Movie Planet. Joining me is the Indy to my Molaram, Steve, and the Willie Scott, Josh. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. How are you doing, guys? Don't all answer at once. I'm doing wonderful. Well, Wonder- see, it's got it's it's gonna take a little bit. It's been a while since you've done multiple people on Zoom, so. Um, Josh is really the pro with this. Down here, Josh is really the pro with the Zoom thing with multiple cameras. Yeah, I'm in here a lot doing uh, doing records, you know. But you do no Zencaster. Uh, no, we used to do Zencaster. Okay. Uh, we use we use Discord now, which is it's this setup. Okay. Except for. Stagecoach, I guess we use Zoom, but I don't worry about that one. Yeah. That's all Eli. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, Well, this week, we've nominated Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from 1984 for the action-adventure Pantheon, and that Pantheon is uh, consisting of seven and only seven films, and they are... Die Hard at number one, Raiders of the Lost Ark at number two, Mad Max Fury Road at number three, John Wick chapter or John Wick the first one at number four, John Wick chapter two at number five, chapter three at number six, and Die Hard with a Vengeance at number seven. And then we have, of course, the rest of these right here that we have gone over. I can't wait to do Bad Boys 2, by the way, Josh. We're gonna have fun with that one. Do you know it's a half hour longer than the original? No. <laughs> So, are there any grades you'd like to alter in this pantheon? Uh, and if so, what what would you like to change? I'll start with you, Josh. Is there anything there that you would like to change at all, or you feel good about everything that you got? Um, I feel good because we just did this, yeah. except for uh, did I not rate Raiders because I hadn't seen it in a while? You hadn't right? rated Raiders. Okay, so I just I watched it twice in the last couple of weeks now. <laughs> nice. Done this. So, and yeah. uh, and that is it's a ninety five. That is a s- straight solid A. Uh, you know what? I'll take the ninety five. I don't feel bad at all about that. Uh, a A plus, depending on how you feel about it. That's your jam. Just out of curiosity, Josh, which one was your favorite of the three indie movies? Uh, <laughs> Not the, I, the three the, existent indie movies. The, 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 the trilogy, uh, the expected trilogy, not the add-on fourth. Got it. Um, I, it. Okay, because nostalgia's sake, it is Last Crusade, because that was like the one. These were the existing ones, right? Last Crusade was like mine. That was the one that I could hold on to because it came out when I was like nine or ten. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, I know yours is Last Crusade, right? Yeah, I think so, because that was the first one that I saw. And I think the beauty about that film is, do you really need to know all the mega backstory to really enjoy any of these indie films? And I just remember I saw that one, and it was awesome. Yeah. So. 
Okay, so we got to grade in there. It still stays at number two right there because JC gave Raiders of the Lost Ark an A minus. That 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 dog. Oh boy. Yeah, Josh, you haven't <laughs> seen JC's grades on these. Oh, have you? No, this. Uh, I hadn't really considered them when, when we were looking before. Okay. Because because you know that's okay. Like, There's a couple that we don't really consider. <laughs> <laughs> Just discount them totally, yeah. Uh, how about you, Steve? Anything in here that you'd like to change? Um, nothing in this pantheon oh. that I'd like to see change. Let's get into this bad boy. This week, we're talking about 1984's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, a movie made for $28 million in 84, which is 82.4 today. That brought in $333.1 million, which is just under a billion dollars today. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, written by Willard. How do you say that name, Josh? Um, Is it Huck? Huck, Huck, Huck. <laughs> Gloria Katz and George Lucas, directed by Steven Spielberg, music by John. Okay, now give me the Oscar, Williams. Uh, he got screwed in the first movie. <laughs> Actually, Chariots of Fire won, but it's yeah, John Williams. But that Chariots of Fire, that's... That is, well, I guess almost everything Williams says is iconic. So it's, yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah. It opened on May 25th, 1984, because Lucas always likes to do their stuff in the 1980s in, the, in May. Uh, opened at $25 million, and it was the only movie that opened that weekend. It knocked out the natural. Aw. I, I know. Yes. Uh, but it, you look at the number of theaters it was in, 1,600. The next one is 989 theaters. <laughs> Like, Lucas put all their money into this one. <laughs> yeah, they were definitely capitalizing off the success of Raiders. Absolutely. Rated PG. Awesome. Still before PG-13, right? Before, this yeah. is one of those inspirational movies towards the PG-13 rating. <laughs> this and Poltergeist, I believe, were the most famous ones that led to it. Uh, gotcha. Star uh, an hour and 58 minutes starring Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones, Kate Capshaw as Willie Scott. Uh, help me out with the name here. How do you say his name? Kei Kwan. thank you. As Short Round, Amrish Puri as Mola Ram, Roshan Seth as Chatter Lal, Philip Stone as Captain Blumbert, Roy Chow as Lao Che, and Dan Aykroyd. Ray Stance as Weber, the guy who puts Indy on the Lao Che plane. <laughs> yeah, I never realized that until I watched it this last time. Right. So Dan Aykroyd. And you don't ever see his face, but you can pin out his voice. Yeah, he's got that fake British accent. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Mr. Jones. <laughs> and Steven Spielberg is in this in an uncredited role as a tourist at the airport. Well, now I need to, now I want to go back and try to find him. Yeah, if you can find him, good job. <laughs> uh, according to IMDb, this movie has one, it had one tagline, uh, and it's the man in the hat is back. Yeah, That's I it. agree with that one. Yeah, the man in the hat is back. And uh, obviously, the adventure as a name must be Indiana Jones, but. I think if they had said this time it it's it's a prequel it's it's before the other one. Right. Hey everybody, just just a heads up. It's not what you think it's going to be. It's before because they hadn't done that. That wasn't a thing. Exactly, and not only that, it's a year before. That's wild. I know because I've I have always thought that this was like ten years before yeah. Raiders, and when I watched it, I was like, well, that makes it a much better movie because he acts a lot younger and more more crazy like and. Then I found it was a year. And I was like, oh, we got some character problems. 
Uh, do you remember seeing this for the first time? What did you think? I'll start with you, Stevie. What did you think when you saw this for the first time? Uh, I think just like with Raiders, I think I saw it sometime in middle school. <laughs> and it wouldn't surprise me if I saw it at my uncle's house again because he was the Indiana Jones. He was the Star Wars guy. I mean, my dad liked him, but it was my uncle who was hardcore into it. So uh, how about you, Joe? I actually read the book on tape. This is another one of those books on tapes that I had. And it was the first Indiana Jones movie I was really uh, uh, influenced into. Like, that's the first one I ever was understood to be was Temple of Doom. Uh, so it was really just only going upwards from that point. Uh, but things I remember about this, I remember that the book on tape had the soundtrack in it. And I loved the soundtrack of this movie. And I'll talk about it later, how I think the soundtrack for this one is kind of like what Empire did with a New Hopes soundtrack, where they took a New Hopes and said, okay, let's branch out and throw a whole bunch of other themes in there also that are all kind of sibling themes. And uh, I... I, it's one of those soundtracks that is, as soon as I hear the first few notes, I'm like, I know exactly what this is from and I love it. Uh, Josh, how about you? Oh, this is like one of those sense memory things for me. Uh, we lived with my grandparents at the time and we borrowed, um, you, you know, the library has all kinds of great things and they let you borrow. You can borrow art. You can borrow kitchen supplies. Uh, we, <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yes, it's totally a thing. Uh, libraries are awesome. But we had a uh, VCR from the library. Okay. And so it was like, you know, I think perched precariously on top of the television at the time because mm -hmm. we didn't have a permanent home for it. Um, and my cousins were over and we watched both, you know, all two of the, the indie movies uh, on the same day. Uh, and it was probably a Saturday or Sunday and it was just great. It was one of those like family kind of memories. Uh, and yeah, it stuck with me ever since then. I was, I would have been like first grade at that point. So like six, seven. Okay. So in your brain, I was talking to Steve about this earlier, uh, how the heart pulling out scene was so much worse in my head than it was when I finally saw it again, just a, this week. Mm -hmm. Like, Steve, what did you expect when you, what were you picturing in your head when you saw that scene in your head? Like just blood everywhere uh, and. Well, yeah, when I saw it, that, well, that time around, it was, you know, gruesome in itself. Oh yeah. Seeing it now from what I thought I could remember. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a lot more gruesome. I didn't think he'd like be literally putting his hand into, into a bunch of clay and just <laughs> pulling it out. Um, it was, uh, it definitely was like, you know, this had to have been a lot worse back then. But then, you know, my mind's changed since then. So yeah, it's uh, no, I agree with you. This film didn't age well with me. Okay, if that makes any sense? It's okay, just, uh, unlike Raiders, which aged very well. Yeah. So I don't know, but like you guys said, it's a completely different movie. I imagine if Tom Savini got a hold of the special effects crew on this one to do that scene. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd be into that version. <laughs> Okay, let's get into the movie, making of this movie. Here we go. Don't get on the set, get ready to shoot, and then ask for rewrites. Studios do this crap all the time, and they wonder why they end up with a shit movie. Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. Movie? You know, I hate the word movie. I don't make movies, I make films. Uh, 
Spielberg later recalled that when Lucas first approached him for Raiders of the Lost Ark, George said, if I directed the first one, then I would have to direct a trilogy. He had three stories in mind. It turned out George did not have three stories in mind and we had to make up subsequent stories. <laughs> now, this makes sense because, let's see, he was just coming off of Return of the Jedi, right? Because Jedi was okay. 83. Yeah. So he now he's the trilogy guy. Yeah, he's got to at this point. He's he's It's one of those like, Oh, yeah, it's been a big plan this entire time. Right, right. Love it. Uh, <laughs> both men later attributed the film's tone, which was darker than Raiders of the Lost Ark, to their personal moods following the breakups of their relationships. In addition, Lucas felt, quote, it had to have been a dark film the way Empire Strikes Back was the dark second act of the Star Wars trilogy. Spielberg had said, the danger in making a sequel is that when you can never satisfy everyone. If you give people the same movie with different scenes, they say, why weren't you more original? But if you give them the same character in another fantastic adventure, but with a different tone, you risk disappointing the other half of the audience who just wanted a carbon copy of the first film with a different girl and a different bad guy. So you win and you lose both ways. That is like the epitome of a sequel. That is exactly <laughs> on point. I mean. And it's also what Spielberg does with Last Crusade. No, yeah, he tries to revert back. Yeah, I mean, this. Hmm, now that you've read this quote, it's going to resonate a little bit more <laughs> when I start watching these films. When you realize Last Crusade is basically Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> yeah, because he he actually does both things with this quote. He gives them the fantastic adventure that done works. Says okay, so with this trilogy, he does the best of both worlds and hopes to hey at least you hit a home run with everybody. Also, the middle movie of a film shouldn't be a prequel. Yeah, that's the weirdest thing because it, like, <laughs> timeline-wise in the real world, we're in our dark period, but because of the guy's story, then the first one should have been the dark one, but then we wouldn't have gotten a second one. If this was the first movie, yeah. I don't know if we would have got. Despite, I think it's it's good. Uh, I I don't think it would have had the the impact that it does. Well, get to get wait to hear what Lucas wanted to do. Uh, Lucas oh Lucas set the film in an earlier year than the first to avoid repeating the use of Nazis as the villains. Spielberg, they were still there in the thirties. It was a year earlier. <laughs> 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 Spielberg originally wanted to bring Marion Ravenwood back with Abner Ravenwood considered as a possible character. See, Abner would have made sense in the, according to Raiders, because Marion hadn't been seen in a while. In mm -hmm. developing the story, Lucas conceived of an opening chasing with Indiana Jones on a motorcycle on the Great Wall of China, followed by the discovery of a lost world pastiche with a hidden valley inhabited by dinosaurs. <laughs> I'm so glad they didn't do that. <laughs> Oh my God. Another idea was to feature the Monkey King as the plot device. However, Chinese authorities refused permission for them to film in the country, requiring a different setting. Lucas wrote a film treatment that included a haunted castle in Scotland, but Spielberg felt it was too similar to Poltergeist, so the setting transformed into a demonic temple in India. <laughs> it's like, okay, George, how many ideas you got? Well, guys, I got, a, I got four. I think you're gonna like them all. One's got dinosaurs. No. <laughs> Another one's the monkey. What? Who brought this guy in the office? <laughs> Just, uh, Lucas came up with ideas that involved a religious cult devoted to child slavery, black magic, and ritual human sacrifice. Lawrence Kasdan of Raiders of the Lost Ark was asked to write the script. She says, quote, I didn't want to be associated with Temple of Doom. I just thought it was horrible. It's so mean. There's nothing pleasant about it. I think Temple of Doom represents a chaotic period in both Lucas and Spielberg's lives. And the movie is very ugly and mean-spirited. 
I mean, it's a darker movie. It's it's supposed yeah. to be upsetting. <laughs> Weren't they both going through like crazy times in their personal lives? I think they're both going through their divorces, right? Yeah. And then Spielberg jumps right back on with this movie with Kate Capshaw and it's been happily ever after ever since. The, uh, if this is the darkest thing that uh, Kazdan has seen, like. <laughs> <laughs> has he like, not no, seen his oeuvre? <laughs> this is where I draw the line. And you're like, really? Really? There are way worse. Even at the time, there were way more intense, dark, ugly Thing. It could have been like associated with a maniac or a slasher film or something. <laughs> I also wonder, like, when people call this a dark movie, are they talking about the tone or the fact that it's just darkly lit? Oh yeah, you're you're inside what, like, uh, two thirds of the movie. You're inside the temple. Oh yeah. Uh, let's see here. Huck and Cat spent four days at Skywalker Ranch for story discussions with Lucas and Spielberg in early '82. They later said that the early plot consisted of two notions of Lucas that Indy would recover something stolen from a village and decide whether to give it back, and that the picture would start in China and work its way to India. Well, those stayed in. Mm -hmm. uh, Huck said Lucas was very single-minded about getting through meetings while, quote, Steve would always stop and think about visual stuff. <laughs> Which is odd because I always saw Lucas as the visual director. Really? Well, yeah, because Lucas isn't known for, you know, his, his dialogue. Mm -hmm. Spielberg knows how to direct dialogue really well. Like one of my okay. one of my favorite things that I see in Spielberg movies is when they ever always have two conversations going at the same time at some point, mm -hmm. and you understand all the exposition happening in both of those conversations. Or when he has a group of kids and they're ad libbing and working off of each other, he knows how to direct that dialogue. But as you've pointed out with the Star Wars movies you've watched recently, uh, his dialogue in the prequels. Yeah. Lucas, yeah, but visually, but visually, those movies are spectacular. But I think, uh, camera wise, uh, Spielberg is much more, especially with dealing with blocking with okay. groups of people. Um, he's got much more, uh, a better feel for it, you know, especially you go back to the beginning and it's the famous thing that everyone pulls out, but the, uh, the one shot in Jaws when they're on the ferry and they're going to take it from the over to the mainland or back, yes. whatever it is. Um, and the mayor and his little henchmen are there. <laughs> and the it it goes from like a wide to a close up to uh, a double close up <clears throat> back to, and it's all one shot. And it all has to do with the blocking and that background moving. So that's where I feel like Spielberg being the the very humanistic parts not so much the the grand spectacle understandable uh lucas's initial idea for indiana sidekick was a virginal young princess but huck Katz, and spielberg disliked the idea just as indiana jones was named after lucas's alaskan malamute the character of willie was named after spielberg's cocker spaniel and short round was named after huck's dog whose name was derived from the steel helmet Lucas handed Huck and Katz a 20-page treatment in May 1982 titled Indiana Jones and the Temple of Death to adapt into a screenplay. Scenes such as the fight scene in Shanghai, the escape from the airplane, and the minecart chase came from earlier scripts of Raiders of the Lost Ark. In Raiders, the headpiece of the Staff of Ra was originally conceived to be in two pieces, with the first piece in the Museum of General Hoke, a Japanese allied Chinese warlord in Shanghai. Jones was planned to steal that piece and then use a giant gong as a shield as General Hulk fired a submachine gun at him during his escape, much like the final moments in Club Obi-Wan. 
Uh? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kasdan said that was too expensive to produce for the earlier movie, but this movie, they got all the monies. Uh, after that, Jones was to fly to Nepal to find Marion and the second piece. In flight, he fell asleep, and all the other passengers on the plane bailed out and parachuted to safety, leaving him to escape alone using an inflatable raft to slide down a Himalayan slope to Marion's bar. Kasdan said this was cut because it interrupted the story flow and was too unbelievable, a complaint leveled by some critics at the finished scene to begin with. Hmm. So it's interesting how they took those two ideas and turned them into two different movies. Yeah. Uh, that being said, it would have been way too coincidental that his raft happens to land at the one person's bar he saw 15 years before. <laughs> That's, I know that uh, the idea for Indiana Jones, like the a lot of the inspiration were the, the like pulp adventure novels and the uh, video or the movie serials. Uh, but that would have been too comic booky. Like that, that is cartoony. And a lot of these ideas I can see working as like alternate timeline comic books or uh, the, like a, what if, if they did a, what if cartoon for Indiana Jones, <laughs> you'd be like, Oh yeah. The dinosaurs won. I would totally put that. Steve, you know, in that category. Steve, you were mentioning something earlier about a comic or something that you... Oh, it was... Um, well, we were trying to figure out what had happened with Short Round. Oh, that's right. Mm. It was like in some kind of iteration where he became, you know, an artifact hunter. The heir apparent. The mantle. Yeah. yeah. Which I think would play better in theaters than what I hear they're doing in Dial of Destiny. Mm-hmm. Short Round should have been there all along. Uh, no, I agree. I, yeah. I wish they would have brought him back, but... <laughs> okay. Lucas, Huck, and Katz have been developing Radioland Murders since the early 70s. The opening music was taken from that script and applied to Temple of Doom. Spielberg reflected, George's idea was to start the movie with a musical number. He wanted to do a Busby Berkeley dance number. At all our story meetings, he would say, Hey, Steven, you always said you wanted to shoot musicals. I thought, yeah, that could be fun. Doesn't the beginning of this feel a little out of place, though? <laughs> doesn't feel like an Indiana movie at all. It feels like a James Bond movie. Yeah, and he's got that white suit on when he kind of walks in. You kind of always see the back of his head, just like how they did in Raiders. But this time, he actually knew who it was. Mm. Um, but yeah, he totally played the James Bond thing. Yeah, I've always liked the idea that when they've done interviews with Spielberg and Lucas, they always say, well, our original idea for his character was he was James Bond where nothing goes right. Like, James Bond, everything happens to go the right way. Indiana Jones, eh, it's the James Bond that you're going to get. America's version of James Bond. Right. Uh, Lucas Spielberg and Katz and Huck were concerned about how to keep the audience interested while explaining the thuggy cult. Huck and Katz proposed a tiger hunt, but Spielberg said, there's no way I'm going to stay in India long enough to shoot a tiger hunt. (laughs) They eventually decided on a dinner scene involving eating bugs, monkey brains, and the like. Quote, Steve and George both still react like children, so their idea was to make it as gross as possible, says Katz. And it is disgusting. Like, when they cut open the snake and all the little snakes come oh. out, nope. I know you uh, love that scene, Steve. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I, I give, given my, you know, love and appreciation for snakes on this show, but that wasn't <laughs> even it did it for me. It was the fact that the guy was slurping up you know, dung beetle insides. And then he just yets out, you know, lets out a big burp to go on top of it. You know, it's just that, that and you, yeah. you know, that, that burp that, stinks. That was worse. That was worse. Oh, yeah. Imagine oh. what that breath smells like when he burps it up. 
Yeah, Lucas sent uh, Huck and Katz a 500-page transcript of their taped conversations to help them with the script. The first draft was written in six weeks in early 1982. Quote, Steve was coming off an enormously successful movie, E.T., and George didn't want to lose him, said Katz. He desperately wanted him to direct Temple of Doom. We were under a lot of pressure to do it really, really fast so we could hold on to Steve. I don't think Spielberg would have left this movie, though. No, that no, that doesn't make any sense to me. No. Uh... Let's see. A second draft was finished by September. Captain Blumbert, Chatter Lal, and the boy Maharaja originally had more crucial roles in the movie. A dogfight scene was deleted, as well as scenes where those who drank the Kali blood turned into zombies with physical superhuman abilities. That's a good cut. <laughs> uh, during pre-prod, the Temple of Death title was replaced with Temple of Doom. Uh, from March to April 83, Huck and Katz simultaneously performed rewrites for a final shooting script. And Huck and Katz later said Harrison Ford took many of the one-liners originally given to Short Round. Uh, Harrison, come on, man. I was going to say, but that being said, it wasn't like Short Round felt like he was underwritten. No, absolutely not. So maybe it was uh, a good idea. <laughs> So, Joe, did you um, pull any of this from the story conference transcript? No, I did not. No. What okay. You, are you aware? You, have you? When was it? Okay. When was it? Yeah. I don't know. You, you're asking me. <laughs> oh, it's from the the '78 story conference. Okay. Uh, it's there's this infamous 125 page transcript, which a lot of screenwriter uh, like gurus recommend that you read because. It's it's them going through this. It's them going through all these wacky ideas and what's <laughs> going to get out and what's going to stay. And for for our uh, like filmmaking wise, it's fascinating. But you know, in this, I think it points the way towards the direction that it's taken. Apparently, in the last movie and in this next one coming up, Dial of Destiny, the those more ultra elements if you will the the craziness and all the kind of the wacky things and Shia LaBeouf swinging with monkeys it's a rough scene <laughs> yeah that's my that's my least favorite part of that one I have to I I think it's See, way worse than the fridge well here's the thing there's two scenes in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull that make me cringe mm -hmm. the first is him swinging with the monkeys mm-hmm I can't get that, but the second one is the opening of that movie is two and a half minutes of kids racing started off with a hamster or a prairie dog coming out of the ground, and it's a CGI prairie dog. Mm -hmm. And then he he does the James Bond like uh, the alligator doing the double take practically at the end of that sequence. Yes, He's like huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's real dorky. But you know, Kingdom is another day. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. I told Steve earlier, I told him, I said, hey, uh, I think when Dial of Destiny comes out, people are going to look at Kingdom of the Crystal Skull the way that they looked at the prequels after the sequel trilogy came out, which is like, yeah, maybe that wasn't as bad as we thought, actually, guys. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Okay, let's get into this bad boy. Excuse me, I don't understand how one rock could destroy a whole village. Saying when the sacred stone was taken, the village wells dried up and the river turned to sand. Did you right now? The crops were swallowed by the earth. The animals lay down and turned to dust. Then one night there was a fire in the fields. The men went out to fight the fire. When they came back, the women were crying in the darkness. 
वैलन कोटे लमाई अतुल जहाँ के दास ताई माँ के लमाई Shanghai, 1935. Did they have the date on the screen? I think they did. I, I do too. It in there. Yeah. And it was yeah. But I don't think Raiders ever had a date. Um, you sure about that? Yeah, we know it takes did. place. I in think it said 36. Did it say yeah. it? Okay. Yeah. So. I don't know where I got my 10-year range from then. Maybe it's just I misremembered the movie. Uh, the film is set a year before the events of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indy is delivering the remains of Emperor Nurhachi to a gangster named Lao Che in a light nightclub. Club Obi-Wan. In Shanghai, China, in exchange for a large diamond, Lao introduces Indy to Willie Scott, the club singer and his girlfriend. After Indy simps his drink, Lao starts laughing ominously as he pulls out a vial of blue liquid. Willie asks what it is, and Lao replies that's the antidote to the poison Indiana just drank. <laughs> Indy, Indy's friend, Wuhan, that hasn't aged well, uh, in disguise as a waiter, pulls a gun and threatens to shoot if the antidote is not handed over. However, Lao Che's son, Chen, shoots and kills him. A brawl ensues with Indiana Jones trying to grab the antidote and Willie Scott trying to grab the peacock's eye. Okay, it's got a name. Willie finds the antidote and slips it in her dress. Chen is killed, and Lao Che's other son, Cao Khan, pulls a machine gun on Indy. Indy and Willie just barely avoid the madman's gunfire by hiding behind a rolling gong, which Indy cut with a large sword. The two make their escape when the gong crashes through a window. After several awnings break their fall, they land in a car driven by Short Round, Indy's kid's sidekick. Indy drinks the antidote after grabbing it out of Willie's dress. A car chase follows with Willie dropping Indy's gun in the chaos. The three heroes arrive at an airport with Lao Che and Cal Khan right behind them. Indy, Willie, and Short Round board the cargo plane with Indy saying that Lao Che made a good try. He shuts the door and Lao Che is written across the door. Lao Che says goodbye to Indy and tells his pilot to kill all of them. The plane flies off. This scene does not stop. <laughs> no. Uh, no. I, um, so... I really liked the back and forth be um, at the dinner table between Lao Chang, Lao Che, and whatever, how you pronounce the name, and Indy, because it's like well, you think one has the one up on the other, and then it switches, and then it goes back, and then it switches back and forth, and then you bring in Willie. It's just you, you didn't know who was going to end up winning at the end. And, you know, all Lao Chang says is that it was poison, but you never really see Indy kind of feeling the effects i mean when he tells him it's poison he starts feeling a little weird but maybe that's just him in his head because he drinks this antidote and he's doing all these other stunts and he doesn't really seem to get any ill effects am i wrong well i think when he's in there in the car with willie and he's reaching for the antidote he starts to kind of move his head about a little strangely and i think that's him kind of showing that he's being poisoned a little bit uh, but maybe That's this is foreshadowing because Andy gets poisoned twice in this movie. Yes, he does. What do you guys think about the musical number at the beginning? I'm I'm into it personally, <laughs> but you know that I like things like I like the wild ideas. I like the big swings, and I feel like this was just a you know what you know what I love yeah <laughs> kind of moment <laughs> that got shoved into the rest of this movie, but it also. It, I think it sets up the, especially for Willie, like 
the the glamour that she can't, comes from and that nightlife and she talks about it later so uh in that i feel like it's one fantasy that morphs into a different kind of fantasy basically and she was kind of beautiful back then i mean i can't believe that her career really didn't take off beyond this movie i think she took a lot of heat for this because she was the screamer in the movie but it wasn't like she was a bad actress in this Mm-mm. oh no she played a damsel in distress like to a t yeah um she i mean she i know she was we all deem her as like the screamer this whole time but she played the hero once maybe twice in this movie you know saving him from that you know booby trapped room that he was in mm-hmm. but yeah no she's pretty yes i feel like her beauty went up and down throughout the movie um <laughs> the dirtier she so, got the better she looked actually <laughs> the best i think she looked when she was in the jungle <laughs> oh where she was just wrapped in a, in a cloth and that's it yep just in my career it, it was very tarzan and jane very right there oh yeah okay uh that, that I love how the, the champagne is so well-timed with the gunshots. Like, just happens at four pop off, and then there's the gunshot. Uh, but we also learn that Wuhan is the sidekick before short round. Or does he have always, two sidekicks? Uh, I always wanted more with that guy. I And I thought that maybe he and short round were, like, cousins or something. Uh, you know, and that's how they both wound up. Or that's how you'd wind up with short round, uh, you know, introducing him to like hey these are the guys that i know that, that i've been running the streets with yeah uh steve what'd you think about the awning drop so, <laughs> so this is another highly unbelievable scene in this movie <laughs> there's uh, a few kind of reminded me of like <laughs> captain captain america falling out of a building and then landing uh it was uh it was it was one of those silly stunts in this movie and this it, it it's kind of littered with it like him running along with that huge gong di- dodging all the bullets at the same time and then the guy just like laughing hysterically shooting off the gun it's just <laughs> it's just it, it's an action scene that has a little bit of silliness in it and i don't know coming off of raiders which was a very serious movie there wasn't a whole lot of humor in it a lot of sarcasm yeah but this there, there was just more silly <laughs> but i was just like I wonder if those two got a little super serum in them. Oh, the Captain oh, America girl. super serum? Like the, the super serum is probably, you can, it's probably like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. You can find a spot where there would be super serum in any movie. You know, the number of times in movies I see people drop through awnings, I'm almost wondering like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it would break the fall the way that it does. I mean, it never feels like as they're going through the awnings, they don't ever slow down. <laughs> so you would think that they would start to slow down falling from the, I, I don't know. Well, then they, they happen to fall perfectly into short rounds car. Like they're right in the back seat, ready to go. That's, and they fall through the roof of it. Like <laughs> right. that's what kind of, that kind of upset me. I'm like, well, that's a beautiful ragtop he got there. Well, not anymore. No. Sorry. <laughs> also talk about well-timed. He happened to be driving and hit that spot just as all that other stuff was going on up there. If he's not there, Indy and Willie have broken legs. <laughs> yeah, because they shouldn't have already had that before. Right. Um, and okay, the dance floor scene bothers me because people start running around in a panic as everything goes crazy with the gunshots and all that stuff, but it would have been dispersed long, long earlier. 
Like people, if it gets crazy, people go to the exits. They don't go to the middle of the room. They go to the exits in a way. It just seemed like everybody's kept going in the middle of the dance floor just for the sake of kicking the diamond and the antidote about. And when I see stuff like that, I kind of go, okay, I understand what you're doing, but your rationale for doing it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's uh, almost like, is it naked gun or airplane where there's like a chaos scene and then the woman runs in topless and, just goes, ah! and then runs off again? Yes, yeah. No one panic. Yeah, yes. Uh, hold on to your potatoes. Short round has everything he says is perfect. And I would, I, I would oh, yeah. go so far. To say, I'm going to call it right now. He is the MVP of this movie. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's Dan Aykroyd. Okay. So we're in the plane. It turns out the plane was owned by Lao Che and the captains abandoned the plane, leaving the passengers to die. They survived by using a raft as a parachute. I love uh, this, but I hate this. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. It looks like it could be a ride from Cedar Point, like, you know, some kind of, uh, or whatever amusement park when they when they land. And they also use all the modes of transportation, a car chase, a plane escape, and then whitewater rafting. Yes. Got them all there. Got them all. Uh, but also, again, like, I love the visual of the raft opening up in the air. And then I think to me, then my the adult the adult in me goes okay how fast is the plane going, how far are they dropping? They should be dead. Uh, well, when the plane crashes into the mountain, I mean, I don't think it's as high up as we think it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. Either way, you know, if we're going to believe that they're going to fall through all those. Awnings. Um, awnings. <laughs> you know, I guess they can handle a raft. Yeah. I love how movies make snow feel soft. <laughs> like, if you've ever grown up in snow, you know it's not soft. It's not. Maybe the first three inches are, but then you hit ground. It's got to be really cold, that powdery stuff. But this stuff looks just wet. And this is also the first time where I really start to notice the projection screen. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like... They're all just sitting there bumping up and down and then the screen's behind them doing all that. So they're just reacting to that, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I, it's one of those things where I, as I watch this, I, I, I feel as though it's aged itself at this point. Uh, but I also understand why you couldn't get all these locations. You were never going to get all these locations back then. Um, so it makes sense why they relied on it. I just, now it takes me out of the movie now when I see it. And this movie has projection problems a lot nowadays. Now it does. Uh, wow. They land in India where they come to a village with no children. The inhabitants explain that the thuggy cult of Pankot Palace has taken all their children and their sacred stone that protects the village. Okay. I love the old man in this. The head chief. I think he's visually stunning. And I love the fact that when you watch the behind the scenes, they were feeding him his lines as he was performing them. And that's why there's those big pauses in what he is saying. But they feel so natural when he's pausing. Yeah, I would have never noticed, would have never picked that up to begin with. So yeah, it was very natural. What'd you think of the village, Josh? Uh, I think the the pauses in that like lend an air of gravitas. Yeah. When 
you know, it seems like, uh, like you said, like it was planned almost. Uh, I'm sad immediately. Like, you know, kids and dogs are very big soft spots for me. So they're like <laughs> all the children. And Joe, you know this from the game that we're playing because my character in our D&D game is very much me. When the children are in danger, I rush in. Like, consequences be damned. I would be like, okay, we're going to the palace. We're we're going to save those kids. And I'm more, let's burn the orphanage to the ground. <laughs> and then hide. And then hide. See, Steve knows. And then I hide. <laughs> For a sneak attack later. <laughs> We gotta get Steve to join the D and D thing as a non an, an NPC at some point. Yeah, just, just for a day. Just throw a monkey wrench, a curveball into your guys' game. Oh, we already I do that it. enough with JC. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I love the authenticness of this Indian village, uh, considering how it was in the 1930s in rural areas of India. And what I love the fact is that it looks dried out. It looks lived in. And then at the end, all that color returns and it looks vibrant and beautiful. And I think showing those two things was a smart move because as we talked about with the Science of the Lamps podcast, Josh, when you portray one group of people, one particular way, and that is all that you see, you send a bad message. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one is showing you all sorts of different lifestyles of India. And uh, again, it looks like a lived in village. Uh, I love the fact that when they are given the food, Indy tells Willie, look, this is more food than these people eat in a week. And yeah. he has a deference for it and a respect for the culture, uh, which Indy has always had respect for different cultures. As you watched all the movies, he's, he's very much a, an intellect and an academic in that way. The, the cultures, yes. The artifacts, not so much, it seems. Well, he doesn't understand the stones until the end when he understands their power and what it means mm -hmm. to the village. Because this is a year earlier, and you know, people, one year ago, we were all awful human beings, right? <laughs> or was this just a timeline problem again, Lucas? <laughs> uh, let's see, the food, okay. Do you guys notice the fly that lands on Willie's food right before she puts it in her mouth? Yeah, because she's trying to shake off the fly before she does it. <laughs> <laughs> like, talk about well-timed, but I don't know if it was Steve or Josh, I don't know which one of you it was, where we were talking about how, like, I won't eat outside. Because if I, oh, it was you, Steve, okay. Because if I eat outside yeah. and an insect lands on any of my food, I'm done. I can't do it. No, I was completely out of there. If it lands on my plate, I'm throwing the whole thing away. Um, <laughs> so when I saw that, I was just like, oh, that's just bad luck. Yeah. You know, Spielberg, he ain't going to, he's going to keep going, keep going, <laughs> play it off. And it, it's, again, it's so authentic. It's so natural. He looked at it. That's why it worked out good. And then she ate it. Like, he was like, oh, I'm going to marry just... that girl someday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Sankara Stones, they are not real but they are based on the Shiva Lingams that are common throughout India. Uh, well, let's see, the Sankara stones were given to the world by Shiva, so the correct name for them would be Shiva Lingam. While Kali is a Hindu goddess of death, she represents many different things and is a complex deity with long history and development. And as we all know, when you add complex things into a belief structure, you get cults. 
<laughs> okay. That night, Indy finds a small boy, one of the missing children who has wandered back to the village. In his hand is a piece of cloth with Sanskrit. The writing gives Indy a new clue about the missing Shankara stones. Indy hypothesizes that the stone may be one of the fabled Adi Shankara stones. The village's elder believes Shiva sent Indiana to retrieve the object. They then lend the heroes elephants so they can reach the palace. Okay, this boy that shows up, even though my character in D&D likes to burn things to the ground with children in them, this kid pulls at my heartstrings immediately. And I remembered him, I thought in my head, I thought I remembered him dying in Indy's arms. I forgot that he was still alive when the mom grabs him. Yeah, just oh, how he yeah. acts and you know, he's like gasping at breath oh. every single move and then stops to catch his breath and then just goes right into Indy's, and he just literally falls right in Indy's arms. Yeah, wow. when he leans against the rock and he's wheezing, my heart just kind of goes, oh God, just grab the kid. Of course, then you find out how far he ran to get to that point. And you're like, yeah, I'd be out of breath too. Mm-hmm. And a little emaciated. That's uh, Joe, I would love to see that on your your morning walk runs uh, <laughs> that you that you post. You're like, today I'm doing the, I'm doing the Temple of Doom run. Yes. <laughs> Just end it like this. <gasps> <gasps> and he, then you pass out. Uh, my iPod in, in my hand. <gasps> Uh, the jungle being alive. This is exactly how it would seem to someone who's never been in the jungle where it's really freaking out is, is what I would be. Oh yeah. It's just, I'm not a camper. You know, and he mentions that, uh, Indy mentions it. Oh, you're going to go that far away. You better stay close to the fire. Stay close because you venture out any little bit. And that's exactly, well, again, she plays the audience. She's the audience. What it would be like. Yep. Um, a few, well, I guess it was last, uh, summer, uh, I was jogging through, there's some woods near here, uh, and a snake fell out of a tree and brushed my, brushed my oh. arm. Oh. <laughs> I will have my best mile time if that ever happened to me. Yes. Uh, and the thing is, I haven't, that's a one in a million shot, right? right? Like, right. I have not been back to that part of the path <laughs> since then. I'm like, no, I can't. Every time I get like underneath the overhang of the woods, I'm like, eh, you know, I'll turn around. This is fine. I'm good with this. Burn the woods to the ground and then we'll run. <laughs> yeah. yep. um, I love the poker game that they're playing uh, because this is, and I know that this is the part where you said Steve is drags a little bit, but this, this is a necessary scene to understand where Willie comes from and where short round comes from. The poker scene is good. It's yeah. when he kind of gets into the exposition talking with Willie and the elephant's bumping her in the back constantly, which that's annoying. Uh, um, but <laughs> it's like, how did they get that elephant to do that? That's so awesome. Um, but no, again, you said it before, uh, short round is the MVP. This totally gets it because he catches Indy cheating and then Indy catches him cheating and then they you yell cheated. at each other and beat Vietnamese. It's It's funny. You cheat, you cheat. <laughs> you big, you shouldn't cheat. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 if I could just get a soundboard of just short rounds quotes, that'd be fantastic. I do have a question here, and maybe this is a writing problem. How come the snake bothers him here? But when they're at the dinner table later on and they open up snake surprise, it doesn't bother him at all. Ooh. Uh, I, I just assumed it was at the other, other end of the table. And he was so focused in on the conversation at hand because he's sitting right next to, 
you know, the colonels, the prime minister there, and then, you know, the child king, whatever we'll call it. The Maharaja. And then, uh, I hate that character. So Um, here's, here's, I just thought he was just totally into it and didn't even notice anything that going on. I've got a theory about this, but Josh, what do you think? Um, I don't know because personally they would both upset me. Uh, (laughs) I think it's, it's Indy, right? He should, his head should be on a swivel when he's in there. Like no matter how scintillating the conversation is, (laughs) I think he'd be like looking out for danger. And for Indy snakes should always be a danger. I think. Right. I think that they had, um, I think that they had filmed the conversation at Indy's end and then they decided to add in the disgusting dinner scene because they're never framed in the same frame at the same time outside of the establishing shot. Uh, yeah, and I think that they did that because they were like, "Oh, what what can we do? Oh, let's make the let's make it worse and worse and worse." And it's always here's the shot of Willie and uh, short round dealing with it, and then we're all the way down here, and there's no food on that end of the table at all. Well, let's just say that what you're saying is true, which it sounds very believable. If they had just gone with the indie conversation at that end and didn't have the other part. You'd probably be thinking, says, well, where the hell is Willie in short round during this whole entire time? You know, <laughs> and plus they also wanted to do something kind of weird and maybe weird and grotesque with that. So they just got that part of the scene. Yeah. Because so it, it, they needed something for them to do. And this is the exposition dump that we get for why Indy is dealing with this issue. This is him. This is him talking to the agents about the arc. That's what this is. Uh, at Pancot Palace, the travelers are met by the Maharaja's major domo, Chatterlal, and also meet the local British regiment leader, Captain Blumbert. At a dinner of gruesome cuisine with the Maharaja himself, Indy questions Lal about the villagers' claims. Lal at first dismisses them, calling them superstition. Indy also brings up the history of the area, stating that it was once the center of a fanatical religious cult, the Thuggy, who worshipped the Hindu god Kali. Lal becomes angrier when Indy claims that the sacred stone was stolen from the village and points out several several instances of Indy's own lack of discretion and moral judgment while seeking other treasures from different parts of the world. The Maharaja weighs in and everybody quiets down saying he's ashamed of the thuggy's history in his region and Indy apologizes for his indiscretion. Uh, I love this conversation. I also love the gruesomeness of the meal. But I think when people think of this movie, they start with the meal first and they forget the conversation that ensued beforehand, which explains the history of what's going on. And it takes away from a lot of the defenses of this movie. Because if you just look at the meal first, you go, well, they don't eat any of that shit in India. (laughs) But that's not the point. The point's the conversation that happened before. And it was so gruesome, it took all the attention away from it. It's certainly oh, yeah. not what the, the scene is remembered for. No. I remember Snake Surprise. I remember the Beatles. I remember Monkey Brains. And I remember, do you have any soup? And the eyeballs popping up. But when this time I was like, let me just really pay attention to what Indy and Lal are saying. I was like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about all this. And then I went online to look up the history of the 1930s in India. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah, 
this could have occurred. Not the meal, but everything else. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, let's see. I love the fact that they addressed the British colonialism in this. You need that in there to understand why India is fragmented the way that it is. Mm-hmm. And uh, Willie's looking for some Maharaja ass until she finds out the kid's 13. <laughs> <laughs> Which is strange because a year later in Raiders, we find out that Indy had relations with Marion when she was 15. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you get the comment from Short Round, maybe he like older women. <laughs> Short round comes in yeah. again. <laughs> uh, yeah, Steve and I were talking earlier about uh, Kihi Kwan or Kei Kwan, Mr. Kwan, and how, you know, he did this, he did Goonies, mm -hmm. and then he, Hollywood wise, just dropped off the map. Uh, don't forget Encino Man a few years later. That's right. He had a bit part in Encino Man. Yes. Yeah. And then shows up later and wins an Academy Award for everything, everywhere, all at once. Good for him. You know what? I'll say this, and I said earlier to Steve, not, probably one of the nicest guys in Hollywood ever. Just, he, I've never seen someone so happy just to be there. Right. Uh, later that night, Indy is attacked in his room by a would-be assassin, which leads him, Willie, and Short Round to discover an underground temple beneath Pancott. Uh, before this... Indy stops by to bring her fresh proof or fresh fruit, which is just a little bit of proof that this is what Spielberg was trying to do with the previous scene. However, it's trumped by the sexual tension in this scene now. And it's all about the sex that they're going to so-called have. Uh, Willie is horny as hell though. This, this whole little uh, sequence, it gets awkward. <laughs> like it is so uh, I feel, feel like Danny DeVito and that SNL sketch it's so horny but it is <laughs> this, this scene fucks no it's it she does this thing with her she goes but you'll never have better and I'm like what's he gonna do kiss her and he just walks away and closes the door and she's stuck there <laughs> Yeah, that was very uh, that that was very good by Indy. But what I'm wondering is, in, in the past 24 hours, what's gotten her all worked up to this point? Because she's largely been uncomfortable the whole time. Well, she finally got some real food. She got an apple. That's all it took. <laughs> yeah, here's some Apples vitamins. <laughs> uh, I also wrote here. Indy is his most Han Solo in this movie. Absolutely. 100% agreed, yep. Yeah. This conversation specifically, I could see him having it on the Millennium Falcon with Leia. Yeah, just him saying, well, I don't know if he calls her a princess in here, but, you know, it's like how he used to say in, I think it was Empire, your worshipfulness. Yeah. Like they're just having this banter back and forth. Um, he does one the... Up, one up he does the lean-in point and says, you know what your problem is? You're too used to getting your way. That's a Han Solo quote. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay, I love the assassin in the room. 
and how he blends into the painting. I look for this every time. And this time I was like, I caught him beforehand. And he's literally in the shot before he emerges eventually. And he's just sitting there. I'm like, what a, what an awesome thing to put in the background that you could notice later on. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Well, that, and I completely forgot about that. Uh, Cause it's been such a while since I saw it. And I'm like, okay, finally some action. <laughs> you know, we went from the village. There's been absolutely no adventure action so far. I thought this was like a super slow part of the movie. I understand it. It was, yeah. still, it was still slow for me. But then it's like, okay, we're back on the trail. We're finally picked up. We're starting to do, starting to get back to that adventure aspect to it. Uh, this scene, you get some of the great Spielberg shadow work. Uh, when that lamp gets knocked over and yes. you see the the huge shadows behind them oh, as they're fighting and everything it's and beautiful. then and then of course the the garroting i guess uh it's so cool because you you see it without seeing it yeah the way that they use it it's like you see uh and these guys could be feet apart it's the safest way to shoot this scene <laughs> without having to actually choke anybody uh and it's just it looks so cool it looks epic it does and you know short rounds in the room mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of wakes up puts his hand back down goes oh god <laughs> 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 but there the other thing i noticed in this scene particularly when it from them waiting for five minutes to prove a point to this is the soundtrack uh and I love, I, I said it earlier, this is the empire to Star Wars for John Williams in the indie series, uh, in that you have the playfulness structure of the music as they're doing their five minute wait. And it amps up into when they become more aggressive, that changes immediately into that aggressive tone. And then this scene, it's like, okay, now we're in full on fight mode. And you get Willie running out, yelling at him. You know, I could have been your greatest adventure. <laughs> it's like, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, but the foreign feeling John Williams put in, into this works really well with nearly every scene. And they should just give him the Oscar for this one too. I mean, Steve? I think I mentioned it before. <laughs> I, I loved John Williams in, the, in Raiders. I love that soundtrack. But this one, other than the Indiana Jones main theme, I couldn't tell you anything with this soundtrack. I'm not saying it's bad. I just, for me, it was, it was a little forgettable. Boo! Oh, Boo! Boo! I'm triggered now. <laughs> uh, and the, okay, the ceiling fan, it's a strong ceiling fan. <laughs> That's... <laughs> That's the exact same thing. The last two times I watched it, I was like, it strikes me every time, right? Because you're like, yeah, this scene is great. It's so cool. And it, what the hell? What? Right. <laughs> okay. Like, I think we all have ceiling fans. Mm -hmm. Do they shake when they go too fast? Yeah. I'm put put 140 pounds on it now. <laughs> yeah, they shake when they go really fast. And I'm always, I remember because, you, you know, when I lived in Michigan, I had a, we had ceiling fans in the house, just like I would now have here in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I remember on warm nights, I'd have that thing going full blast and I'd hear it shake or the chain go across. I'm like, is that thing going to fall on me in the middle of my sleep? <laughs> you 
you know, not knowing full well it's attached to a beam up there, but I'm just like, I don't even want to look at it while it's going full blast. <laughs> right. You know, and now I have this in my living room, this massive one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight-sided helicopter Ooh. <laughs> that um, is in my living room and I mean, it feels great, but yeah, you just kind of, I, I always still wonder, is that thing, it, it, it's good, right? Right. <laughs> Let alone a 260-pound man dangling dead weight from his thing. <laughs> uh, before reaching the temple, Indy and Short Round activate a booby trap that plans on killing them both. But Whitley comes to their rescue while walking through a room of bugs and ooze. Okay. Uh, don't don't glo- don't gloss over. Right before the booby trap, there's a booby entrance to the yes. this underground portion. Yes. <laughs> Puts his hands on her breast, pushes while and Willie's like, "I'm right here." You know? <laughs> but even better, when they go in, she grabs another statue to try to do the same thing and puts her hands on that statue's breasts and goes, "Ugh." <laughs> uh, yeah, this scene though, uh, with the bugs, uh. This is right up there for me with the tarantulas on the back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. I can't handle that. Uh, It's gross. I still think Raiders is way worse. (laughs) Walking through those spider webs and then all of a sudden they're just, tarantulas are just, I just think of this, uh, I can't remember, Alfred Molina's character when he just turns around and they're all just laying on his back. One crawls across his chest as his face, might even graze his lip anymore. I'm surprised <laughs> you're still sitting here, Joe. Um, <laughs> I just, I think that's a lot worse. But then again, when they do cut scenes of the bugs, and I just, I, I don't understand it, um, especially when Willie's in there and they're like crawling up her legs, crawling into her clothes, and she's not shaking them around to get them off at all during those scenes. They're literally just trying to enforce a, yes, there's bugs here. They're crawling. They're crawling. It's her way, especially when it crawls into her hair, probably down her back. That that one is pretty gruesome. But um, I don't know. I still think the tarantula scene is the worst. But we want to know what I missed from the scene. What's that? Is the short round would have said booby trap because he says it so many times in Goonies and it's a great line. But if, if he would have said it here first, that would have been great. I step where you step. I touch nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but then you know, they're walking the thing goes, oh, feel like fortune cookie, you know? Yeah. 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 But then there's the added piece to it where he, <laughs> they, they let the thing goes, those not fortune cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I think though, okay, so I watched this one on my Voodoo. It's in the 4K and all that stuff. And I think sometimes HD takes away from the special effects. Because when this is in HD and you watch it, and they you, you, they, they they see them walking through the corridor, you can tell it's just like fabric that they're moving up and down for the illusion of bugs on the walls. Uh, and so... If you don't have the HD, you don't notice that. You just think the walls are moving uh, and that there's bugs all over them. So for me, I was kind of like, oh, no, HD, damn you. Oh. Yeah, I just saw it. There's, it's more like a glistening on the floor and on the walls. Uh, but the HD gives us a gift in one of the, the scenes coming up. I think I know what you're talking about. I, I, you know what? Or did we pass but it already? We, I thought I thought this is when no. the, it wasn't. 
Okay. No. Okay. It's 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 in the it's in the ritual room. Okay. Uh, the set piece to this booby trap is awesome. I love the spikes coming out of the ceiling. I again, the music in this is tight. And it keeps picking up more and more and more. And we get a great line. We are going to die. And thank God Willie is there to overcome the fears that I would never do. They would be dead as far as I'm concerned. Sorry, I'm going to hang out with the Maharaja. Uh, I'm not sticking my hand in there. That's This scene is like something out of a John Carpenter movie. Like <laughs> It is straight up a horror movie. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, uh, when Indy's hand comes back out of that the the hole, and it's covered in goop, I'm like, <laughs> they didn't need to do that. You guys went the extra mile and put some uh, some gack or whatever it was all over his hand. It was that early Ghostbusters ectoplasm you would get in the Toys oh, R Us. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember the smell of that stuff. Whoa. <laughs> Yeah, because I think when she has to pull the levers, she's got to, like, filter through that same exact stuff, too. And she pulls it, and then she goes inside, get him off me, get him off me, get him off me. Door opens, everything's great. And then she hits the lever again, and it falls down. I completely forgot about that. And I was just like, oh, crap, now what? Yeah. And then, you know, they just do the classic escape underneath the falling door. He loses his hat, got to grab the hat. So, yeah, it was that was funny. Did they do the hat grab in Raiders? Oh, uh, no, he grabbed the whip. Thank you. All right. Uh, okay. They find a thuggy group practicing an ancient ritual of black magic and human sacrifice to Kali. Though they possess three of the ancient stones, one of which belongs to the village, they are still missing two. And the thuggy have enslaved the village children to dig for two last stones within the mines of the palace. Mola Ram, the cult's villainous high priest, hopes to use the power of five united stones to rule the world. The protagonists witness a ritual in which Mola Ram barehandedly digs a man's heart out of his chest. The man survives, his heart beating in Mola Ram's hand until he is lowered slowly into a lava pit, causing the beating heart to burst into flames. Indy leaves Willie and Shorty behind to retrieve the Sankara stones. As he collects them, he hears a child's cry coming from behind the chamber statue of Kali. While Willie wonders why Indy is walking off, a thuggy guard surprises them, and she and Shorty are captured. I love this scene so much. <laughs> I love the chanting. I love the presentation of it all. I Mola Ram is just pure evil. Uh, even the, the magic of it all where he's alive as he's going down, but the heart lights on fire. Like that's the supernatural a component of an indie movie you like to see. Is there something that even his academics cannot explain at this point? Uh, and I have here, you can see the uh, <laughs> the lyrics to this uh, that Mola Ram says and the people say, and it's all about sacrifice, sacrifice, give me power, give me power. Um, I'm kind of glad that this was never on the screen uh, because it's foreign enough to make you unsettled. Mm -hmm. The heart pulling from the chest is still gnarly, even though it looks like they're pulling out of clay. Yes, ripping the heart out of the chest, it looks so bad. But at the same time, it looks good for that time. Like, yes. the, I'm sure when I first saw this, I was like, holy crap, that's real. 
Right. You know, now it's just like, holy crap, that's just terrible. Well, you know? did- and how great the practical effects were in the previous movie, I felt like it might have taken a slight step back. The thing that makes up for it, though, again, is the whole, thro- I don't want to call it a throne room, but the um, the ritual room. That set is unbelievable. I think it's nothing like we've ever seen before with that massive statue standing up there. Oh, it's iconic. And all the little intricate details, because I think there's one shot where Indy kind of looks upwards, and you see human skins hanging <laughs> like by the windows and moving in the wind. I was just like, holy crap. They, I mean, yeah. the amount of detail if you were to stop and look at the scene at that whole entire set is unbelievable. So those human skins, that's what I'm talking about. The thing that you never see in HD uh, or except for an HD is the fact that the human skins have pubes. (laughs) I did notice that. (laughs) Steve's going, are you looking at your phone right now? I'm going to bring it up. I mean. Yeah. And I was, I always assumed that those are the skins of children. Oh God. Because he hears the screams and that's when he looks up and he sees the skins. So I always correlated with those are children, past children. Oh yeah. Oh, that's so sad. That's upsetting, Joe. No wonder why the the writer didn't like it and wanted no part of it. Kasdan thought it was a mean movie. (laughs) Uh, I really like the fact that although the Sankara stones are important the kids being tortured in their slavery takes the priority Uh, almost out of necessity though because you almost wonder at this point if Indy and his friends had not been captured what would they have done would they have gone back with stones or would Indy have gone to check out what was going on with the kids uh, and, and try to save them and although he does make the beeline over there uh, we'll never know where his morals and ethics were at that point. Mm-hmm. Did we ever see what the stones actually do? I mean, I know they glow <laughs> when you put them together because the diamonds kind of interact with each other. Um, the the I- reason why I ask is because they, they were put into the skull. Uh, what they put into the skull after the sacrifice was done? Well, they take them out to present them, and then they put them back in. I think. Okay. So what do they do? The, they glow. They, they, they're pretty. <laughs> uh, they look like a salt lamp that might deionize the air and a. <laughs> That's exactly what they look like. That's true. <laughs> they, they serve as a totem, for your beliefs. Oh. How about that? They give magical powers. What does a cross do on your necklace? Keeps vampires at bay. That's, that's easy. <laughs> Check me. It's a totem for your beliefs. And, it, it, you know, in, in relation to sports, you know, if you believe something works, you continue to do it because it must work. If putting sand in your left shoe works, you believe it. It'll work. Bull Durham taught me that. Uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's, okay. Um, 
Indy finds a large excavation site behind the sacrificial chamber where kids are being forced to work. They're being beaten and whipped. Enraged, Indy throws a rock at the largest man ever and is captured. In a small holding cell, a young boy from the village tells Indy that some of the kids are forced to drink the blood of Kali, a potion that makes them unquestioningly obedient to Mola Ram. And that was a hell of a throw with that stone to hit that guy in the head. The uh, the whole little okay, we're we're drinking a magic potion thing. Yeah, har- harkens back to, and I don't know if you know this, like the early days of zombie cinema. Mm. That was always the thing: is that the zombies weren't um, they, they were victims. They weren't the aggressors. They weren't your it, kind of stand-in for your antagonist. They were. Uh, it was super common like we're going to zombify all these people and they're going to work our sugar plantation uh that kind of stuff or they're going to go do our bidding for the the town and raid the next town over um there's some great movies that you know you wouldn't recognize them as zombies because they're just hypnotized people yeah uh, yeah but that was very much the i think the inspiration for this well zombies today have really changed from where they were a long time ago yeah and i think we can thank Romero, and we can thank 28 Days Later for the biggest milestones in zombie history. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll make them relentless, and now we'll make them fast. <laughs> uh, Indy is forced to drink the blood of Kali, and Short Round is put in the mines alongside the village children as a slave laborer. And I'm going to say this right now. This guy who plays Mola Ram is knocking out of the park. He understood the assignment. Like when he leans in and goes, you don't believe me. I'm just like, oh God, this guy gets it. He's on top. And now I'm sitting there going, ooh, who's better? Mola Ram or Belloc? Ooh. (laughs) Thoughts, gentlemen? (laughs) In terms of pure evil, Mola Ram. Um... I think uh, Belloc is just like the dark version of Indy. Um, yeah. But uh, no, I think I can't remember the exact script or, or the lines that Molaram says, but I thought when I first, when I just watched this, that he gives his explanation into what they're doing. Oh, yeah. And I kind of believed it a little bit. I'm like, that's, I think that's one of the main key things of whether you're, a good villain or a great villain. And I think I Molaram would go up there with one of the great villains. He 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 does the Bond villain monologue. Uh, very convenient that that kid had a doll that looked like Indy. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing behind it that there's no previous information that was given that, that she does voodoo dolls. Just all of a sudden just pulls something out like, okay, I guess she does voodoo dolls. Well, I'm, and I'm sitting there going, wait, is voodoo, is there a sect of that involved in the Hindu religion? Because I don't think there is. No, I think it's a seems... stereotype that yes. just automatically assumed. I think it is, yeah. This is a, uh-oh. <laughs> this is an uh-oh moment. <laughs> we're, we're just going to whip all these things together into a frothy mixture we call the other. And <laughs> Yes. <laughs> frothy what indeed. Which is a great segue of when you say just whip them in there. What did you think of the whipping scene, Joe? Uh, this is a PG-13 movie. Disguised as a PG movie. 
when he takes that when he, when he whips Indy it's one thing it's when the kid gets the short round I was like oh no 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 I brought my children to this we're watching them drink <laughs> stuff out of a bacteria filled skull and now the child's getting whipped I'm taking my child out of the theater I mean, this is the beginning of the parallelisms that you see between Win- uh, Windy, Indy and Short Round throughout the rest of the film. Oh, yeah. You know, they're both fighting at the same time. They're both taking the beatings at the same time. And I think, you know, Indy took those whips like a champ. I mean, he's still talking while being whipped <laughs> at the same time. I was like, he didn't, there, there was, I mean, he showed like wincing maybe a little bit, but I mean, uh, I think he took him pretty good. Better than Dolph Lundgren did in Master of the Universe. Well, that's because Master sucked. <laughs> <laughs> As we all agree, but JC thinks otherwise. <laughs> we, we need to have a big round table. And, <laughs> and I'm one of them. I will need to be called on the carpet for some of my decisions. <laughs> I recognize this. Look. I'm not I'm not innocent of any of this either. I'm sure I've got stuff on there. Where people are like, Joe's fucking crazy. How does he have a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I was I was looking up JC's crazy. He gave a 72 for that. I mean a C minus. <laughs> I'm sure with time, like me, I might come back to the light side and realize that. Um, yeah, I need to listen to JC for that. Indy having a reaction to the potion is a nightmare. It really is. And I believe he's actually under a trance when he's done. He does a really good acting job of the turn in this when he's on the slab with the candles around him and he's ah, ah, does the two of hands as he stand, sits up and, you know, it, it it's creepy. It, it, Lawrence Kasdan said it was darker. Yeah, and I think it's the fact that the, he included, you know, child slavery into this maybe that's you know again that's another reason why he didn't want to do it but also as creepy is when they throw him in the jail um and he sees short round but then they got those two other kids that are there yes and the one kid is just he's got like a long neck and a long stringing body and he just he's telling them about the potion he's about to drink this is that is creepy right there yeah you know because it's like this kid knows what's going to happen he says you just turn into one of them yeah you know? he... and it's it's yeah the kids that speak in this, even the Maharaja, which I know you're not a fan of, uh, the kids, when they're speaking in this, speak truthfully. I feel like, I don't feel like they're acting. I feel like they're just telling their experience at that point. And that kind of goes to Spielberg and knowing how to direct dialogue. You know, he gets it. Thank God Lucas wasn't on this. I couldn't imagine what those lines looked like. You know, I, I think you just got to keep it super simple. Yeah. Uh, short round frees himself and escapes back into the temple where Willie is about to be sacrificed to Kali. Desperate to help his friend, he burns Indy with a torch, shocking him out of the trance. Together, Shorty and Indy take out Mola Ram's guards and free Willie. Free Willie. Hey. <laughs> Indy makes a silent apology to Shorty. Willie suggests they escape. Indy says, right, all of us. And the three go to the mine to free Ram's child slaves. Um, I put on here, they just sacrificed someone. Does Kali really need to sacrifice so quickly? Like, it just happened. Uh, Kali, Kali is very hungry. <laughs> this version of Kali is incredibly hungry. Uh, Mola Ram has no reason to have Indy do the heart pull. This isn't a choice that makes sense because cults are built on strict routine. There's no wiggle room for gray areas in a cult. Not that I've ever been in one. Uh, 
awfully know a lot about cults when it came to this movie. There's no way Short Round gets there that quickly. He was just yeah, beating when, the chain. Yeah, when he show when he first shows up, you know, on screen, there's a thug that's limping. And I don't know why it stuck out with me. It's just like, why is this guy limping? Did he do something? And also, how can all the people that are on there not contain this one little kid? <laughs> so but, I was, uh, I, I don't know. Josh? I, uh, so it, a lot of this doesn't bother me because it's moving so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and it's, it's one of those, it's a way Homer kind of sequence, right? Where you're like, well, the logistics of that don't quite line up. But when it's happening, it's like, boom, they throw him in the chains. Boom, they pull him out of the chains again. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're, there's a sacrifice happening. Uh, it's like, but the, it's the whole from here on out in the movie, right? It's pretty much nonstop. Security breach. <laughs> uh, okay, I'll say it. Willie should be a piece of toast getting that close to molten lava. A piece of toast? She should have. We should have seen what happened to the Nazi Germany guy in the Lost Ark, and she should be melted off of any of that. Not only that, I mean, in the scene before when they actually have this human sacrifice, that contraption goes into the lava that shouldn't even be there anymore right mm-hmm. right so yeah she there as soon as they open that thing up she should be cooking already wouldn't it be really funny if he like she came back up and he flips the thing over and her face is all melting and goes oh shit <laughs> <laughs> what if right. i i pictured her having grill marks from the bars <laughs> of, the, of the thing like like a Burger King Whopper. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's just like the only thing they did was just take like a water bottle and mist her. Char grilled. No, to... Oh my god. Uh, I, I, Asian I, style. I love the scene with Short Round and Indy giving each other their hats. Uh, mm. That's awesome. But then I go, how did Shorty get Indy's hat? Indy doesn't have his hat at all in that scene. So where yeah. does where does Short Round get Indy's hat from? Did he stop by Indy's sacrifice or his potion room on his way to stopping what was happening? I mean, he did have his clothes there. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I, you're ma- you guys are making me want to like step through this thing and diagram. <laughs> Like the people do with uh, the the hotel and the shining. Okay, where are the different caverns? Where do they keep the? How far would you have to move? Uh, I need to do a test where I try to break a chain between my legs. Yeah, but I think you know what, Josh. You kind of said it earlier. It's it's everything is happening so quickly. You notice it, but I think you forgive it because everything's moving so quickly. Yeah. So I mean, it's like, oh yeah, where do you get that? Oh, by the way, I've, if I pay attention to that, I've already missed three, four, five scenes. So I mean, it kind of goes off. Yeah. Quickly. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Smoke and mirrors, guys. Welcome to the movie factory. <laughs> uh, so all the kids leave, but it was a long way to Pancot Palace from the village. How do they all know where to go? Um, they grew up there, part of the jungle. They know their way. But it was like a day's journey. Oh, an elephant. These kids are running. 
Why do you think the one kid's so winded by the end when he gets there? <laughs> Didn't have an elephant. <laughs> Didn't have an elephant. I shouldn't be laughing at that, but you're right. <laughs> okay. Uh, in the fight to escape the palace, the three jump into a mine cart and are closely pursued by two thuggy filled carts through the tunnels. And the pod racing scene begins. Uh, I, I no, Joe. This is so much better than the pottery. <laughs> Ten times better than the pottery. Shameful. They, I hate you both. They managed, to, <laughs> they, they managed to throw off their pursuers. Back in the mine, Mola Ram has his men man topple a large water tower, spilling its contents into the tunnel. Indy and his group barely managed to escape the rush of water, emerging on the stone wall of a canyon. Okay. When the big guy gets crushed by the conveyor belt. Oh. <sighs> I love this so much. And I also see a theme now, which is that Indy always has to uh, fight some big, big dude. They did it in Raiders with the big bald guy and he got sliced up by the propeller and he does it with this guy with the conveyor belt. And I think the conveyor belt one is a worse way to go than the propeller one. They're both uh. really bad. I mean, I guess, yeah, one's quick, one's slower. I guess if you think of it like that. That's a step up in my opinion. It, yeah, that man is seriously begging for his life. Well, then Indy tries to save him. I know, because I think that's the reason why. Like, I'm like, Indy, this is what you wanted. Good. Well, he, he was fighting for his life. He wasn't fighting to kill the other guy. So it's a thin line. But... <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, Indy would have been happy if he was just, like, knocked him out and he was unconscious. I think he would have been okay with that. But... I mean, kill the guy, crush him like he did. Well, anybody doesn't want that. And yeah. Willie's reaction when she sees the blood on it. Oh, like, really? <laughs> and she's sitting there doing her little punches also from the ground. Then it goes to Indy and then it goes up to short round and he's beating the hell out of the Maharaja. <laughs> okay. Uh, kids helping kids. In this movie, when and I know you don't like this scene, Steve, but the Maharaja, when he helps short round with the directions, I don't know. I know it's cheesy, but for some reason, I like that in this movie. I just hated the way his line was delivered. You know, it's just, I don't know. I, that's, I just hate that kid. Well, it's also, it's a, it's a pointless direction because he tells him, always take the left tunnel. And three times they take the right tunnel. Really? Yes. He goes, If you, it, t the tunnel left is your way out. Now, don't get mm -hmm. me wrong. Both tunnels obviously got out. But when they framed them both, one of them has this light blue color on the left, and the other one has mm -hmm. this deep red like you're going to hell. Right, right. <laughs> and it's like, even if you didn't have the directions, you'd know which color to go with. Well, it's like, well, didn't they shoot at it to trigger which way it went? Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if they just shot at it, but like, oh crap, I messed up. I guess we're going this way. But, but he um, does it three times. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. Uh, two rights make a left. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> the mine cart would have been derailed like five times. Also, can we agree on that? Yeah, physics does not exist clearly in this mine, um, in this little mine ride. But it's so much fun to watch, nonetheless. I, I loved it. It's so much fun. I would love to go on this roller coaster ride. Wasn't there a minecart ride at Universal? Uh, the only one that I remember was the Mummy. 
It was all indoors. It could have been okay. a couple of doom ones. I feel like there was a, a mine cart attraction at a theme park. Um, are you sure you weren't just part of a uh, hobo cult? There <laughs> 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 were abandoned train cars around. This would explain at least two things. From this <laughs> no, I promise. Uh, as far as I remember. Um, okay. And this is another moment, just like on the raft where we get the projection screen, uh, where they have the camera shooting from the back and you're watching the front and you're like, they do this at Disney with like the Star Wars tours. It's it's it, 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 but for some reason this Disney one's more immersive. Like I can tell clearly they're not on this. Mm-hmm. Did it bother anybody else? So <laughs> watching this ride, it was it was all over the place. Yes, but when they show those scenes of either it's Indy's cart or the Thug's cart. They're all standing still trying to shoot while the screen is going up and down all over the place. And it just didn't quite match up. And that, that happened a couple, multiple times. And I think that was just, I mean, I don't know. How do you fix that if you're going to use that kind of a screen? But you would think so if they had some kind of a simulator to mimic all that. But, I mean, it was so chaotic on how – and because it was giving the sense of them going super fast. Yeah. Um, it was space no, I didn't. I didn't have a problem with it, but it was yeah. just in terms of any kind of motion sickness. But I don't. Know, Josh, I don't get motion sickness that bad? Uh, I think because it doesn't hang on any one effect for too long. Like you're jumping from kind of the side view, which if you watch the close up, it does look like they zoom past the same wall like six or seven times. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's. I think that's like the alien thing where they had one one hallway. And they kind of used it from every angle. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's rear projection, but they do some um, some stuff comes out. Like, they're ducking underneath actual set pieces of the set. Okay. Uh, and so it's it, uh, it keeps it interesting. And I think you can't focus on any one flaw for too long because it's cut, 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 and all the different effects. Yeah. So it, it, it works for me for the most part. It's the the overwhelming nature of it kind of, you know, it gets you there, I feel like. Yeah, I think when you realize that that is the special effect of the time and it's mm-hmm. not used once, it's used several times, it becomes something where you're like, well, they had to rely on this for this scene. Uh, mm-hmm. Can't fault it too much for that. Uh, <clears throat> fairly obvious that Indy, Willie, and Short Round are projected into the screen on the rock wall, though. When they're on the rock uh, wall, they aren't actually on that rock wall. You don't say. I know. <laughs> but it's like, you can see their figures, like Willie and Short Runner on one side, and you can see the figures actually moving on the screen because it can't stay steady. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did you think about the rush of water shooting out? Uh, with Indy and Willie in short round. Well, prior to that, when they finally dump over the water, that was a miniature, wasn't it? Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was awesome. I loved all that. Yeah, um, I didn't. I the believability of them being able to outrun all that water was a little far fetched. Seeing how they did it multiple times, I didn't even think um, there was that much water when they poured it out. I was like, there wasn't that much water. That was like 
an entire river going down <laughs> those um, but and especially in how vicious that it, they made it look and I was thinking dang how much water I guess was really in that little cauldron so to speak but uh no it was uh it was cool I mean where else that water gonna go I mean they finally got out but it reminded me a lot of the Return of the Jedi scene when the Millennium Falcon's coming out of the Death Star and the fire starts to wrap around it. Mm-hmm. And you see it from the Falcon's point of view where you see the fire start to come across the screen. They do the same thing here with the water where they have the same camera shot and it's the water that you're seeing coming around like that. But then when they get to the opening, they got time to get out of the way before that water shoots out. <laughs> Editing. The, I was gonna say this whole little uh down the hallway kind of sequence um when i first saw fury road like the opening chase scene in that it feels very similar to this yes yes yeah very much so um okay indy willie and short round try to cross a rope bridge across the canyon but are hemmed in by mola ram and the thuggy on both ends indy tells his friends to brace themselves and uses a machete to cut the bridge in half Many of the thuggy are sent plummeting into the crocodile-infested river where they are eaten, but Mularam holds on. Now, before this, they're escaping to the bridge, and Indy comes across two swordsmen this time instead of one. And he reaches for his gun. Indy hasn't had a gun the whole time. The last time you see him with the gun is in the car in Shanghai, or wherever he mm-hmm. was at. Right. Willie drops it out of the car. So was this just like, oh, we're going to call back to Raiders, wink, wink? Wow. How could be a callback if it's a year prior? <laughs> <laughs> is it a call forward to Raiders? <laughs> Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, Foresh- yes. Foreshadowing a film that's already happened. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you want to spin it. <laughs> um, we, 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 okay, Indy on the, I love the scene with Indy on the bridge. I think this is an awesome set piece also. Uh, especially when Indy, I believe he speaks in three different languages in this scene. He speaks in Hindi, yes. he speaks in uh, Mandarin, and he speaks in English. Because uh, you gotta give Short Round his directions. And that's when Short Round says, hang on lady, we're going for a ride. <laughs> <laughs> well again, he steals the scene while with that, but as soon as, they, as soon as they get to the bridge, he has no fear whatsoever. Look, <laughs> strong wood, lady, come on, let's go. Starts jumping up and down, breaks through. I was like, dude, I look at that bridge and I'm like, nope, nope, nope. Uh, it might almost be right there with snakes for me. That long rickety bridge, no way in hell. <laughs> you ever do a rope? Happening. Do you guys ever do a ropes course? Yeah. Yeah. Those always freaked me out. I could never get through them. Uh, we did one. It was on a shoot that I was on, actually. Um, and like I went up and placed GoPros in different places so i did the ropes course first okay but it was was climbing up on top of stuff uh <laughs> to like the support wires and, and things they actually pulled me up uh, i'm doing the motions of the belay <laughs> i guess you have a belay. i get it i know what you're doing <laughs> okay thank you thank you joe <laughs> um but the uh one of the fun parts is if you're doing that they let you swing like you get to jump off the top okay uh, and and kind of swing and where there where the bridge falls it, i didn't bounce off of a cliff 
<laughs> That's a good thing. <laughs> but there's no way that they're holding on to any of this stuff. No. Right? Like, <laughs> that's no. not going to happen. When that... I mean, even as the bridge goes against the rock part of that mountain, <laughs> and let's say you got a good grip and your fingers are over there, your fingers are getting smashed right up against the mountain as well. Ooh. So I don't, yeah. Here's the thing. I could understand short round hanging on. Willie's dead. Mm-hmm. Her fingers don't have calluses. <laughs> She's alligator food. And yes, those are alligators, not crocodiles. They should be crocodiles, but they're alligators. Okay. <laughs> Mola Ram, prepare to meet Kali in hell. <laughs> Great line. Love you, Indy. Great line. Great delivery, too. Way to mix religions. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, another place where Harrison Ford says hell and people go, what's hell? Right. Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> uh, let's see. In a final battle for the stones, the evil priest declares that they belong to him. Unafraid, Indiana invokes the name of Shiva, yelling that Ram had uh, betrayed the Hindu god. In Indy's satchel, the stones begin to glow and burn a hole through the bag. Two of them fall into the river. The final stone burns Mola Ram's hand as he grabs it. Indiana catches it and watches as Ram falls and is eaten by crocodiles, wink, wink, in the river below. Jones climbs up the bridge as Blumbert and his Indian riflemen help defeat the thuggy reinforcements. So this scene all but solidifies that Mola Ram and his cult are not representative of the Hindu faith. Okay. Uh, echo of the Nazis, not being representative of the Jewish or Christian faith as they open the Ark of the Covenant. So those that sit there and casually watch us and wanna talk about how, oh, it's ridiculously over the top race, no. They portrayed it properly and showed what a cult of this would look like if it was out of hand. Much like we've got cults all over the damn place. I wish there was a cult nearby in Nashville. That'd be fun to know about. Um, do you not know about the cult that was here? There was one here? Yes. Uh, so there is um, this recording studio called Ocean Way uh, recording studios okay here in nashville which was the home uh, i believe it was a church uh i don't remember which which denomination um but then it was the home of the um i believe it's tony tony alomo who also has a fashion brand <laughs> this sounds like a very like first world cult, cult. <laughs> oh yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the the myth of it was that uh, this guy had kept his, there's a freezer like in the basement, uh, that he had kept his wife after she passed away, kept her body in the freezer in the basement of this place. Has this happened in the past 10 years or something? No. That okay. Was, it would have been like in, uh, I think they were really po prominent in the 70s and 80s. And I think this happened like in the 90s, supposedly. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, I also wrote in here, I love that Indy speaks Hindi, Chinese, and English in this movie, Mandarin. Uh, that being said, it'd be nice if there was something he didn't know in this movie. He seems to have all the knowledge and all the answers to everything. He is a Maury Sue in this. <laughs> the male version of a Mary Sue. 
He's the professor. Uh, Indiana, Willie, and Short Round return to the village with their sacred stone and the missing children. Indiana tells the village elder he understands its power now. And the village is super vibrant. There's lots of colors everywhere. Uh, things are growing all of a sudden, which is a hell of a turnaround from the de desecrated woods that they were around. Uh, I'm wondering how Indy beat the kids there. They left quite a while before he did. Uh, longer legs. What? <laughs> they had elephants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I do like how Indy is able to differentiate from artifacts that belong in a museum and those that don't based on their meeting to the people it represents. Because- I want the fortune and glory. Well, he understood it. It's, it's the end of Three Amigos where they, no, our reward is that justice has been done. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, <laughs> Willie goes off again on her little rant. If you think I'm going to Delhi with you or any place else other, after all the trouble you've gotten me into, think again, buster. I'm going home to Missouri where they never feed you snakes before ripping your heart out and lowering you into hot pits. This is not my idea of a swell time. If I was any, I'd be like, it wasn't mine either. <laughs> I wasn't like, hey, you know what would be fun? Dropping out of a plane and going on an adventure that almost kills us. But it is totally a uh, random adventure, right? Like this is a random one. He just falls into it. And is, does Indy have a, a Batman thing where he never or rarely actually kills anybody? He's just like the cause of their death. <laughs> like, oh, oh, I happened to knock him off of the off of the ladder, off of the bridge, that kind of stuff. Oh. The, I didn't mean to crush the guy. He fell into the crusher. He kills the swordsman in uh, Raiders. Yeah. With the gun. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we think he's dead. It could just be a flesh wound. Could be a flesh wound. <laughs> all right. That's all, folks. According to the top critics at Rotten Tomatoes, it's got tomato meter reading of 60%, 21 fresh, 14 rotten. The critics on the average gave this film a 6.8 out of 10, which I think is pretty high considering they rate everything at the exact same level. Like, they'll yeah. grade Godfather with Caddyshack. Mm -hmm. um, the critic consensus says, quote, it may be too dark for some, but Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom remains an ingenious adventure spectacle that showcases one of Hollywood's finest filmmaking teams in vintage form. That's a very positive way of uh, describing this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's see what the rotten people said. So J John Preston of Time Out this is in 2006, said, part of the trouble is that anything clearly does go, including the slender hold on credibility that Raiders managed to maintain. <laughs> I love how cruel these people are. Uh, Patrick Gibbs of the Daily Telegraph, with the action nonstop, there is no time for mere acting, much less for a coherent plot. Steve, you mentioned that there was a lot of dead space in this. Yeah, there was. Like, the, the travel from the village to the palace, and then... You know, even at the dinner table, it's not a whole lot of action going on. That doesn't really pick up until that thug meets him in his room. You yeah. Know? And even after mm -hmm. that, it's kind of a slow. I mean, when they go down to that into the caverns, there that is ex almost exactly what um, Raiders was in the beginning. You know, okay. They go through the creepy bugs, the tarantulas. Uh -huh. um, then they go into that room with the booby trap, the big rolling ball, yep. and all the other booby traps in there, and you know how to escape from it. 
So, but even then, it wasn't nonstop. It was like a little bit, and then you know, creep along a little bit. But I mean, I understood the plot, right? And the acting. You just said before Harrison Ford put on an acting clinic when he was being possessed. Yes. So, and uh, Willie, I mean, damsel in distress is perfect. And then Jay Carr. So Patrick Gibbs, get out of here. Jay Carr of the Boston Globe. This is in 2023. He's reviewing this movie. It would be a mistake to say that Spielberg is losing his touch. But until that chase scene lifts the last part of it, Indiana Jones just seems to be going through the motions. It's got the action of Raiders, but not the inner life or sense of fun. Yeah, it's the Temple of Doom. <laughs> it's not the Temple of Fun. <laughs> Jay, I think they have. I think they have more fun in this movie than in Raiders. <laughs> Short rounds a hell of a lot more fun than anybody in Raiders. Yeah. Okay, so the audience score, the people, they speak out with an eighty-two percent, saying it is a four out of five. So the people like this movie more than the critics do. Uh, but the movie's over. Were you entertained, Steve? Yeah, I was. It was a little up and down, but it had a great finish. What about you? I was, absolutely, I was Aaron. I, I, I want, I, in fact, I've watched this movie twice now in the past week because I was like, it was so good. I got to do it again just to check it out. Josh? Uh, not only was I entertained, this is one of those like keystone things for me. Like I talked about the memory of it. Yeah. Um, this and um, the Disney Headless Horseman, uh, which was another VHS that we borrowed from. Ichabod uh, Crane, right? Ichabod Crane, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that we borrowed from the library were like my my first steps into horror as a child. <laughs> I like, love that Indy was one of the first steps. <laughs> but dude, that whole sequence, the heart ripping, the bugs, the Ugh, dropping yeah. into lava, it's all, like I said, it, it could come out of a Carpenter film. Now, Spielberg is, at least up to this point, at his most horrific in this movie. I mean, even Poltergeist wasn't this bad. And I know Poltergeist wasn't Spielberg, but we all know who's pulling the strings in that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's see if the awards got it right. At the Academy Awards, got two nominations and only one one. Uh, it won for Best Effects, Best Visual Effects. It beat out 2010, the year we made contact, and Ghostbusters. Okay. Uh, you could go either way with me for Ghostbusters or Temple of Doom. Because... 2010, most of the stuff they used in 2010 had already been pioneered. Mm -hmm. But then Best Music <laughs> loses to A Passage to India by Maurice Jarre. The other India movie one. <laughs> there may have been some politics behind that one. One of one of them portrayed it in a better light than the other. Okay, it was that. up for two of them. It was up for two It won one for Best Effects. Yeah. But then we go to the Golden Globes. It got nothing. No nominations, no nothing. The popular nah. kids didn't even like it. So now we go to the Saturn Awards where the real fans are. And Harrison Ford is nominated for Best Actor and loses to Jeff Bridges in Starman. That's fair. I, I got to rewatch that movie. I, it's been, I haven't seen that movie since the 80s. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you need to do that. Uh, Best Costumes it was nominated for and it lost to Dune in 84. Dune has got better costumes. Yeah, gotta say it. Uh, it nominated for Best Director, and it loses to Joe Dante for Gremlins. 
Wow, look at this lineup. Leonard Nimoy, Star Trek Three, Steven Spielberg, Ron Howard for Splash, and James Cameron. It's like a Mount Rushmore. Really? And, and Joe Dante. Yeah. Hey now. <laughs> hey now. I meant Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> okay, best fantasy film. It's nominated for that, and it loses to Ghostbusters. Look at that. The never-ending story. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> I specifically like how they put the German title underneath it also. Uh, I feel like if I nominated that movie, you'd treat it just like Masters of the Universe. <laughs> I tried watching Never Ending the Story last year, and I couldn't get past the first 15 minutes. It's got really big. I know, Josh, I'm hurting your feelings on this one. I'm sorry. I couldn't do it. Well, and part of, I think there was a middle period where I didn't appreciate that movie. Yeah. Uh, but I tried watching it again with my kids when they were a little bit younger with my girls and it was it was rough like there's some did it hit with them oh it hit with them it hit with me okay on a whole different level like as a parent yeah uh, it hit me you know because he's kind of a uh you know a latchkey kid and uh, (laughs) all that different stuff uh it yeah you know what I'm not even going to bring it to you, Joe, because I feel like you, you just wouldn't, you wouldn't appreciate it. Not in the right way. I listen, I have given movies great grades that I absolutely hated. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Listen, one of the big things when it comes to kids movies, especially from my youth, is that I always wonder if I watch this with kids today, how will it go over? And my... My sample size is my classroom, where I will, at the end of the year, okay, let's watch a movie. Hey kids, let's see if Goonies is still holding up. Hey kids, let's watch Goonies. And they're like, yes, and they love it. Okay. Goonies holds up. But if there was a movie that I played them once and they were like, this is awful. And I'm like, but it's from my, it's, no, it's it's one of my favorites. (laughs) How dare you? But there is one thing from Never Ending Story that I will never forget. It's burning my head and it's the two big, golden, big-breasted sentinels uh, with the eyeballs. That part, Uh that messed me up when I was a kid. That's the only Uh, part of Never Ending Story I remember. I think the the philosophical, like, or existential crisis in the middle of the movie, the fact that uh, fantasy is being eroded by something called the nothing. (laughs) I I think that's such a great message. Watching that as an adult, that means a lot it, yep. the, the parallelisms and the metaphor behind that it's it's so it, it's great I, I that's what that would definitely be in one of my top three so maybe i need to revisit this yeah just just put your uh your philosopher's hat on your metaphorical hat yes take my hat off and watch it uh it yes. it was nominated for best makeup but it lost to the terminator it was nominated for best performance by a younger actor with Mr. Quan, short round, and it lost to Noah Hathaway from The NeverEnding Story. Atreyu. Short round acted his ass off, okay? It doesn't get better than that. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. That scene with Artex is that, talk about tug at your heartstrings, man. That's yep. what everybody remembers from that. What's Artex? And it's the horse. <laughs> Josh is shaking his head. <laughs> The horse in the swamp. The, I thought the horse was Falcor. No, that's the oh. flying dragon. God, watch Come movie. on, man. <laughs> Get some culture. You swine. 
come on. <laughs> you absolute heathen. <laughs> it was nominated for best writing and it lost to the Terminator. I'd agree. Yeah. Fair, yeah. yeah. Uh, and those are all the awards. So it got one award out of three major award shows. Uh, okay. Top now next segment, top three, bottom three. Here we go. Uh, this is where we talk about the three things we want to highlight in this movie. And then we go over the three things that are bad, unforgivable or downright travesties. I'll start my top three. Number three, Mola Ram's performance. He's not given a lot to do, but what he does, he does well. And in fact, I would be hard pressed to rank Belloc or Mola Ram higher because I think they both bring something different to the table. Uh, they are better than any of the villains in the rest of the series. The villain in Last Crusade, I, I, he, he just pales in comparison and Crystal Skull, Kate Blanchett tried, but no. Uh, my number two, this is my favorite indie musical score. It's my favorite. It's the one I listen to the most when it comes to the indie soundtracks. Uh, and that's nostalgia speaking and I know it, I embrace it. And my number one, everything Short Round says is amazing. It is awful that he never returned to the series. Steve, what are your top three? Uh, my number three, the set design for every place that they visit. There's a lot of attention to detail from the village in the beginning to the village at the end to the sacrificial chamber area, the ritual area, um, the skins. all the way down to... Oh, the skin. I did look it up. There are pubes. <laughs> <laughs> I finally found it. And I looked at that. I was like, holy crap. There's, I mean, I don't know if you can see it, but there's. Oh, got it. There's pubes there. <laughs> um, so I, the attention to detail was just awesome. And lastly, the minecart ride. It's just all out fun. And there actually is in Disneyland. They did a Temple of Doom Mayan cart ride. I they thought did. so. Okay. Yep. Okay, Josh, you're three. <laughs> uh, I like, I love the the difference of a setting from the previous movie. Mm. Like you're dropped into this world and it's it feels very fleshed out uh, and lived in uh, for lack of a better term for it. Uh, I think also the... I like him. I like a little kid being a villain. Uh, so I think that's really fun. And that the little tete-a-tete with Short Round that he has at the end, uh, you know, points that, that maybe he might turn into a better person uh, with whatever uh, people he has left. You know? <laughs> Whomever's left following him. <laughs> yes, whoever didn't fall off the cliff <laughs> or get shot by the cavalry. Uh, and I like the the combination of the characters, the ensemble uh, of your of our three main characters. Okay. Um, I think that they balance each other out really well. And so for me, like the, the intercutting of the campfire scene is some of the, you get the jokes, you get her with like the visit, the physical gags. Yeah. So yeah, I like, I like the, uh, the ensemble. Okay. Well, Time for the bottom three, time to vent. Uh, my number three, yes, the dinner scene is a problem. It is. If you cut out all of Short Round and Willie though, uh, the scene actually works better and is more consistent with the tone. Um, my number two, 
if this is a prequel, they probably should not have gone religious again and gone for a more tangible legend. In Raiders, which is a year later, Indy talks about how he doesn't believe in all that magic and hocus pocus. But if this was a year before then, he absolutely should believe it. This is a poor writing choice that doesn't stay consistent in the Indy timeline. That's my number two. And my number one, the minecart scene is really long. Six minutes and 30 seconds. The pod racing scene in Phantom is 10 minutes. The difference, there are different things happening in the pod racing scene that add to character. The minecart scene adds nothing to character. Steve, your three. Um, my number three, just the silly stunts from running behind the gong to that big ogre looking guy where he just goes to fight Indy at the end. He just throws away the hammer and it lands on somebody's head. <laughs> you know, just those little silly things. Um, the traveling time from the village to Pancock Palace, it just drags, it feels like. Um, but my number one, and I, I initially thought Willie was going to be that annoying character, but surprisingly, she wasn't as annoying as I originally would have thought. Uh, I think this has to do something of the force humor in these scenes. Um, it just didn't seem like an indie movie. And I think you said it best. This is the most Han Solo we've seen in any movie. Yeah. So I think my technically my number one would be just, I feel like there was more forced humor in here. Um, forced gags, yeah. The, the forced gags. I think the scene that sticks out with me the most when I think about this is the back and forth with Willie and Indiana in the sex scene. It just seemed a little out of place all of a sudden. Like, like I said, how the heck did she all of a sudden want to get with this guy after she's been this, that absolute nightmare this whole entire time. So, yeah. Okay. Three. Okay, Josh, your bottom three. Okay. Number three was going to be uh, Willie's change. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because her going from <laughs> like this, and I know that it's a trope of like these older movies that they hate each other until they love each other kind of thing, but they're, they're back and forth before they get hot and horny for each other is it's pointed. They don't like each other. And then all of a sudden they have, they share one meal from opposite ends of the table of some eels and monkey, monkey brains. <laughs> and suddenly they're into each other. And I just, I didn't buy that. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, the rest of that, where it kind of comes through in the end, especially um, doesn't feel earned. Uh, and I didn't particularly like that. Um, everything that Indiana Jones has been through, mm -hmm. it doesn't feel, it feels cumulative going from the previous movie into this one. Like you said, the character doesn't quite make sense because of the religious things. Um, his later reticence in the series to give up uh, an artifact doesn't, make sense with this like yeah the, if the first the adventure we see him on apart from young indiana jones if that was you know considered canon mm -hmm. uh is him like no problem i'm not only going to not take this i'm going to retrieve it for you yeah yeah uh and then i don't like the there's too many ideas here i feel like uh and it feels overstuffed um a little bit in that the the whole sequence at the beginning his adventure there and i know you're they're dropping us into something but 
I want to see that movie. I want, I now want to see what else happens uh-huh. uh, with him. And I think Indy in that urban setting that he was clearly in for a little while there and the suave Indiana Jones, I want to see more of that um, because we already get the, the swashbuckling kind of guy. Uh, and I think that it adds interesting or could add interesting depth to him. Uh, what he does, what he's like in civilization, apart from, you know, later when we see him in uh, the school setting, the academic setting. Right. Uh, so I think it's kind of a, an opportunity. And this is one of those where it's a little bit of me rewriting what would, what would be there, but I absolutely think it's a missed opportunity. There's a uh, lot of times when you see these movies, you go, I know what I would do differently to help this script. And it's very mm-hmm. difficult to sit there and go, I'm not going to hold the movie against this though, because this is not what they wanted to do. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, time for the critics rating, uh, a to F scale here on the movie planet. C is considered average. A plus is the highest. F is the lowest. And if the movie is so bad, it receives F's from all the hosts. It goes to a new category of movie, the movie planet, global killer joining masters of the universe and water world <laughs> but not solo anymore because jc saved solo uh he gave it a hundred percent wow wow that's God. a swing he great he says it's it's the best star wars movie of them all how can you put that alone over empire or return of the jedi so the question is, what do you give 1984's Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in the action-adventure movie genre by today's standards? Steve, I will let you go first. The floor is yours. Are you going to leave me after... Got me all angry now. Well, okay. <laughs> Should I play the song for you? The immigrant song? No, I'm, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm going to keep it in check for another podcast. JC, I'm coming for you. Um, coming, up, coming off Raiders of the Lost Ark is such a huge task. And as history shows, sequels tend not to be the greatest. For me, the movie does a bit of a pacing problem. It drags for a long time when Indiana and company leave the village and arrive at the palace. The dinner scene is such an iconic scene, but now seeing it, it's kind of a little over the top and I don't know, it doesn't gross me out like it used to before. Once he finds the hidden room, then it finally picks up and walking into the booby traps, is exactly what we got from the beginning of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That part was fun. The biggest thing I liked about this one, even more so than Raiders, was the set designs. They're a lot better, um, and they're the best that I've seen in, I mean, we're talking about 1984 and all these things. I was one, and these things still age well today, so that's good. Short round, he steals it in the movie. I totally agree, he's your MVP. I love the fact that they have a side character having a very huge role in Indiana Jones. I mean, the kid, he actually has major value in the story. He saves his life, in my opinion. When he burns him and gets him out of that trance, he saves his life, saves everybody's life. I like it, but for sure I'm not crazy about it. There's a lot less believability in this one than in the first movie. Hell, in a lot of movies. <laughs> Willie should not have survived. He, she should have melted off to begin with. Hell, when they both fell out of the building in the beginning of the movie, did they have some super serum in them? Maybe they did. The silly action started off in the beginning and was placed throughout the film. 
it felt like an Indiana Jones movie sometimes. I was convincing myself that this was going to be really good. I mean, you know my enthusiasm at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I said, bring on the Temple of Doom. (laughs) But I'm glad I got this one out of the way so that now we can go on to what I consider the granddaddy of them all, The Last Crusade. And I'm going with my final grade there, C+. Uh, A little bit above average, but I give it a C+. Okay, a C+. So, okay. That's my turn. Okay, Raiders of the Lost Ark was a beast of a movie when it came out. It was always going to be a tall in order to live up to those expectations and or surpass them. In fact, it's going to be damn near impossible. Now, plot-wise, this is a massive departure from the movies that sits between. The first and last movies are centered around Judeo-Christian theology and largely take place in places where the religion is secondary to government in framing the cultural identity of the people. In this movie, when looking at where India was in the 1930s, it can look like a Westerner's view on foreigners involving stereotypical assumptions. However, this movie is showing truly the different sides of a nation that is seeking its identity underneath another country's rule. I don't think most people know how fractured India was in the 1930s, especially considering how much their religious identity impacts it. Now this movie takes a lot of crap from the cult of presentism using moral high ground foundation. The thuggy cult was real, everybody, it was. This is an excerpt from something describing the thuggy cult. Thuggies, sometimes described as the world's first mafia, were an organized gang of professional assassins who operated from the 13th to the 19th centuries in India. They were religious fanatics who were notorious for their ritualistic assassinations carried out in the name of the Hindu goddess Kali. Thuggies worked by joining groups of travelers, after which they would proceed to gain their trust before surprising them by strangling them with a handkerchief or noose. Then they would quickly rob their victim and bury them carefully. They worked in a highly specialized manner. Each member of the gang had a special function such as luring travels, travelers with charming words, acting as a lookout, or taking the role of the killer. In fact, thuggies were responsible for approximately two million deaths. This is an approximation because there's no super reliable sources, but. If two million people go missing and you know that there's somebody running the place, you have a good idea of where they went. Now, in the first movie, Indy starts off looking for an artifact. In this one, the artifact quest finds him. He wasn't expecting to do this, but he does it out of goodwill and understanding. And for those that are saying he's a white savior in this movie, tell me what should Indy have done? Should he have denied helping them and just said, let me find someone who looks like you to help? No, that would be racist. Okay, he's there to help. That's his goal. The music is vintage John Williams, and I really admire the fact that Williams can take an original theme and build sibling motifs that to the original that thematically match the tone of the film. Once again, I think Williams got burned at the awards circuit for this one. Okay, does the movie have problems? You're damn right it does. There are special effect shots that look like they belong in a movie made before Raiders. The plot doesn't fit within the continuity of the timeline, referencing specifically Indy's lack of belief in the supernatural in Raiders when this happened a year before that. The dinner scene is monumentally important exposition dump, is broken up by the shocking items on the table which last longer in the audience's memory. And for many people today, it's the foundation by which they claim this movie is highly racist, which implies intent, rather than ignorant, which implies naivety. I think the acting in this, for the most part, is fantastic. Getting kids to act can be tough, but damn, short round. Mr. Kwan, that kid's gonna get an Academy Award someday. You watch, it's gonna happen. 
Uh, I'd even go so far as to say that if Short Round wasn't in this movie and it was just Willie and Indy, it would be an epic failure. Although Harrison Ford and Kate Capshaw play well off each other, he needs an alliance relationship to balance with his conflicting relationship. It keep the characters balanced. And Amrish Puri, the actor behind Mola Ram, I have no notes for you, my friend. Puri understood the assignment. He's to play a leader of a bastardization of the Hindu religion, and he leans into it so well. Where Belloc was much more subtle in his villainy, with Mola Ram, there's no gray area. So in the action-adventure pantheon, is this a step back from Raiders? Yes, at least a whole grade. That's a B plus. Is it better than average? I've seen some shitty action movies. Yes, it's better than average. So that makes it at least a C plus. So if it's in between a B and a B minus, I'm gonna lean on my gut and say that the movie is a B minus. The indie we fell in love with in the first movie is not the same indie we get in this one, and it was too early to do a prequel. That's mine. Okay, Joshy. Joshy, Joshy, you're up, brother. <laughs> All right. So this movie, so on a on another recording, right, I talked about how I don't necessarily pay attention to the background, the the business side of things. That's fair. But this movie coming where it does in Spielberg's oeuvre, in his arc, I think it's it's a vitally important piece because he is threading these different needles of his obsessions and his personal life into this movie. And you can see these guys were definitely going through some shit <laughs> when they came up with this. Uh, and when they're like the execution of it and almost the return to boyhood of even more so than Raiders, right? Like uh, it was the the grossness, the gags, the, oh, hey, we have to make this woman hot for Indy. Like mm -hmm. if if he is our self-insert character, the, the highest aspiration of what we could be, we're going to make this woman, this woman who Spielberg is going to fall in love with. Right? <laughs> And married, right. he's still married to her. Yes. Uh, and I, so I think that it led to so much more and uh, really a growth from his obsessions. Like you move from um, things dealing with families and children specifically to you start to look at the father-son relationship from the other side. He's more mature at this point or coming out of this, I think. Uh, which is really interesting. It's, you know, it shows an, an aging and a maturity on his part. Um, if you look the last couple years before this, uh, you have E.T., Twilight Zone, 1941 yep. uh, was five years earlier, which is another exploration of, like, childish, funny humor. And then immediately after, he moves on to The Color Purple. <laughs> <laughs> like he was clearing off his plate to move into uh and i think one of the great things that swerber can do is bounce between these different genres the drama and action adventure it's it's what he's become known for uh and eventually combining them in his war movies i really feel like that's where you hit a lot of those strides so where it takes place in one of my favorite filmmakers filmographies is vitally important. Uh, and I think it's one of those, like 
now you can understand him a little bit better. Each film helps you understand him a little bit better. Um, but this one, watching it as an adult, I definitely got a lot more out of it from that perspective. Um, uh, the racism stuff, and I would probably be the most sensitive it's okay. uh, out, of, out of a whole lot of people that you know, Joe, to this. I don't see it. I really don't. I think your argument totally holds up that these characters are supposed to be outliers uh, and they do not fit in with the cultural norms at the time. They're shown that way. Yeah. Uh, much like I don't think uh, Sopranos to the Godfather is racist against Italians, even though that's kind of a running joke. They are a subgroup, a subclass. The Venn diagram would not cover the entirety of the culture that they don't stand in as representations of the entire culture. Exactly. Now, overall, if you only get that kind of representation in multiple pieces of media, that's where the feeling of racism comes from. Uh, and but that's not put upon the shoulders of any one project. No. So that that aspect doesn't bother me. Uh, I do. I see the inconsistencies. I don't love a lot of those from character standpoint. Um, they don't make sense. It is. It's the X Files problem of how many times are you going to run into aliens, Scully, before you just go, okay, Mulder, you're probably right. <laughs> you know. I love that. <laughs> uh, but, and we've talked about this before. I like to take movies on their own. You know, do they work within canon, or do they work as a movie? As a movie, I think this one flies really well, um, and. If you watch them in uh, release order, at least it makes sense, uh, and so I'm I'm pretty okay with that. Uh, and I'm coming out a little hotter than you. Oh, do it, uh, do I'm, it. I'm gonna no, I'm just a little hotter. I'm just gonna go a B. It's okay. not a lot. Okay, but based on my letterbox rating, uh, it is uh, the lowest of the OG th- to me. The OG three, even though I consider Last Crusade is still one of the new ones. Yeah. In in my it's, reckoning, <laughs> that's a that's that's fair, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I was I was hoping you're gonna go like A on this one or A minus. I'm like, yeah, the little boy is gonna go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't quite hold up that well. And the uh, the character inconsistencies and those special effects, I the HD does not do or the the 4K UHD does not do favors for a lot of that stuff a lot of the the rear projection kind of things that's very true okay so let's revisit the pantheons here so indiana jones falls right here with a b minus average oops way too far sorry spirited away wow now i'm just drunk during this okay (laughs) (laughs) high grade is an 85 low grade is a uh 78 a c plus and i think that's an appropriate place uh it's definitely better than point break or bad boys yes and uh you know it's a little bit less than king kong and uh road warrior it's nestled neatly in its little spot right there and uh I would still say that it's a really good movie and a fun movie to watch. And if you're into indie, you're not going to get burned too badly by this movie. It's just going to be another adventure. It's like what you said, uh, Josh, when you were talking about how when you look at these movies, you tend not to look at them canonically sometimes, but more just on how they are on their own. This, I think, is a series where you can literally take each one on their own and you're actually better off. Mm hmm. Because if you try to link it all together and you know for a fact that they started here, then went backwards, then su- jumped up forward super far, 
you're going to get lost in the minutiae just as the writers did. But if you look at it just episodically, and this is an adventure, kind of like James Bond before the Daniel Craig parts, just look at them as indie movies. It's actually a really, really good one. Critics hats off. Now you're just a fan. Like it, love it, or none of the above. And I'm going to say I was like it until I watched it this week. And then I was like, no, nah, I love this. I, I love this. I know it's not the best, but I love it. I love it. Steve, what about you? I really liked it. I not quite at that love, but, but it's, it's, it's definitely fun to watch. And Josh. Um, allow me to make a correction real quick. Oh, please the, do. Uh, I pulled up from my, uh, cause I have a lot of this stuff bookmarked. Um, the story conference was actually a Raiders story conference. Uh, I misremembered. That's okay. Uh, so, but it's still a great document. And to tag onto that, the, uh, Steven Soderbergh did an experiment where he took, I think he replaced the soundtrack and took all the color out of Raiders <laughs> and to watch it as a visual piece. Yeah. Uh, with the blocking and everything. Uh, and I think a lot of that carries over. It's not quite as strong. The, this one is not, um, but I still love it. <laughs> Having watched it twice in the last two months, uh, it is, it's, still way up there for me. I was expecting not to, and then I did, and I'm like, ah, this is great. Now, I had made a prediction with Steve uh, before we started the indie series because Last Crusade mm -hmm. is his favorite, and he hate, he was not a fan of Raiders, and Temple was kind of like the next one down. And I said, by the end of this, you will reverse those standings. Mm -hmm. Now, Steve, yet I don't know if that's going to be true. I know I got Raiders right. Raiders is your number one because it's at 100% for you. Yeah. Will Last Crusade, do you think it'll be ranked on this above or below Temple or right with Temple? Oh, I think it's going to be above Temple, in my opinion, right now. If I had to give you a grade right now, I think it'd fit right. Definitely a B. Okay. For sure. I love my little movie the theories. And then I love talking to people who break those theories, like my alien theory about alien and aliens. And then Josh broke that last week. <laughs> Just, he, he saw aliens first and he liked alien better. <laughs> I've never heard about that. Yeah. Next week, or in two weeks, we're doing Last Crusade. Uh, Steve, you want to join us for that, Josh? Uh, probably, yeah. You got to okay. look at the timing, but yeah. Okay, cool. You can email the Movie Planet using the address movieplanetpodcast at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Podbean and give us a four or five star review. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and follow our Instagram. The opinions expressed on the Movie Planet podcast are those of the individual hosts. The Movie Planet podcast is not affiliated with, prepared for, approved, or licensed by any entity that created any films discussed or reviewed herein. All movie clips and music included in the podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. Any last words, gentlemen? Uh, I think I'm almost convinced that Raiders will now be the best movie. Uh, I'm excited to relive The Last Crusade. I'm just not, but I, I said this at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark 2. I was excited for um, Temple of Doom but I'm also nervous. Josh, any last words? 
I also do a show called Nashville CA. It is your uh, bi-weekly, bi-movie podcast by two dudes who live in different parts of the country. Um, and I believe, well, as of this release, I have no idea what our next movies will be. Uh, but for example, this week we are recording uh, Seven Psychopaths and The Nice Guys. So you can kind of nice see guys. how our pairings work. Yeah, it's uh, two cleverly written crime films. Uh, and then I also do a podcast called Stagecoach Justice, where we do different uh, seasons dedicated to different filmmakers, different actors, different subgenres within the Western genre. Um, we're wrapping up our Django exploitation, as uh, <laughs> Joe and I talked about previously. Didn't even know it was a thing. And I believe we're moving on to Bud Bedeker um, and Randolph Scott films which is kind of a blind spot for me. So I'm really excited to, to dig into those. And if you want to know more about Westerns, it's like a history lesson, but it's fun. So uh, join us over there. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for listening and happy movie watching. We're out.